I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the rent room. Hey, listeners, before we dive into this week's podcast, I wanted to let you know this is an independent podcast and we're doing this podcast all on our own so we can deliver the content and get the guests that we know will help you with your creative journey. And that means we don't have the financial backing or the marketing and promotional tools that Wondery or iHeartRadio or Gimlet might assist us with. Now, we want to continue giving you game from the Hollywood trenches, so we ask that you help us out. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that review button. Definitely hit that review button and download these episodes. Post links on your social media. Tell everyone you know and support our Patreon for only $1 a month. Find the link at screenwritersrr.com or patreon.com forward slash screenwriters rant room. And if you already are a subscriber, we love you. No, we really do. And we appreciate you listening. So let's get on with the show. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, everybody? 2023. Yeah, on this show we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Chris Derrick in the building. What's happening? I had a really, really great week this week. Did you? Nice. Yeah. Considering um, this state well, we're in. strike <laughs> like like strike outside. Um, you know, I think I told you last summer I was gonna direct um, Top Dog Underdog on right. stage. I couldn't do it for the thing in Broadway and other stuff like that. But I met with the theater owner on Wednesday mm-hmm. with two other play ideas, mm. and he was like, "Which one do you want to do?" I'm excited. Huh. Let's have you come to class and start casting and start working on it. Like, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm not gonna say what plays yet because because we haven't narrowed it down. Okay. It's a good but, muscle to yeah, use. Yeah, but it's I'm great. so excited to, that he was into it because um, the last one kind of blew up in like a weird way. It wasn't nothing to, like it wasn't my fault, but one of the actors got really salty because 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 we had shocking. Yeah, yeah, but it was one. Hey, of the, but Dan's it, a former <laughs> actor too. <laughs> are you still act a little bit? Or are you done? I. I uh, I act sort of on a as requested basis. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if someone needs me to stand in the background of something, I've always <laughs> said the perfect amount of acting I'd like to do now is one line as. Can I read you the specials? Hello. You know, like like later, like this, uh, or the guy, you know, maybe like a really funny reaction shot, a double take of some kind. That that's about all I want of the acting life. My, my former co-host Lisa used to always say, "Can I just come in and just say they went that way?" Yeah, the, <laughs> actually, actually, I've always said my my dream role would be the guy at the beginning of Law and Order who's like, "Honey, we're late for the opera." Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Call nine one one. There's a dead body. That's about all I want. Just I think I could do a really good annoyed husband. We're running late. We got these expensive tickets. <gasps> a body. Now our, our, our night is ruined. 
We're never going to make it to the men now. So that's about as much acting as I do these days. Although I did, I did start in, you know, in college and in New York acting on. I was thinking, you know, just watching, um, my, uh, my Dan Hernandez, by the way, writer, producer, showrunner himself. Hello. Hello. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. I was thinking of the the guy in the opening of Minority Report. That could be you, the guy who gets haloed in the beginning. Oh, the guy oh, who's going to kill his wife. The pre the pre crime guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to be yeah. a pre. Oh shit! Guy. I didn't mean to do it. I, didn't, I, I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it yet. But you will. Mm-hmm. That would be yeah. That's a perfect. Anything that requires just like denial, denial, some kind of anger, but like quickly ushered off screen. A- annoyance, <laughs> annoyance. Perturbance. Anything in the cold open, you're a- Anything do, right? in the cold open, I will crush a cold open, <laughs> exactly. and then I will disappear, and I will be happy. No, I, I do. I, I hope someday to like do more performance, but it just, it just hasn't worked. I out go that through way. phases. Like I'll go ten years and never need to be back on the stage, and then I'll see Hamilton and be like, "Fuck, I want to be Aaron Burr so bad." You know what I mean? And I go through this thing now. I'm like. If we come back, should I start acting it like I'm like at that stage? Like I haven't been there in 20 years. You know? I, I think that, but I think that it, when you when you start with that bug, it never really goes away. I, yeah. I part, maybe part of the reason that I'm not acting is I had a professor in college who said, you know, when you're 50, you're going to work constantly, but until then, <laughs> good luck. And I felt very sort of. That's discouraged weird. by that, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like, all right, I guess I'll have to find another career until I'm. They said the same thing to Jeremy Piven. They said when you're. The late 30s, early 40s, you'll get a ton of work. And he did. And he did. And it was true. Mm-hmm. So true. maybe maybe my time is to come. Maybe your time is to come too. So, But I, oh, yeah. I, I do occasionally get the bug. Weirdly, also for musicals. I do yeah. Like, but, but I could be Sweeney Todd. You know? <laughs> 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 but, and then I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll just. I'll I'm, just getting, I'm getting more of a Mario or Luigi vibe. Oh, so well, yeah. I'll shave someone else while, while I'm at it. <laughs> I could be Mario Luigi. I I I feel like or their I, other cousin, you know, Tony or whatever. Cousin Tony, <laughs> I would crush cousin Tony in Mario. So, big yeah. Tony, big Tony, and big lead. Tony. <laughs> voiceover might be the way to go for me. Okay, then I, I have a face for voiceover movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show, man. We appreciate you, Linnell. How you been? I um, know it's been I'm, a trying week. No, it wasn't trying at all. Yeah. Um, it was. It's. I, I feel. To, to steal from Mickey Fisher, and if y'all aren't subscribing down. to his newsletter, yep. I, f- I find Get so it. much um, motive, like inspiration from his newsletter mm-hmm. he's, whenever he you sends it out. I, I, I think from Twitter. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I know from Twitter. I don't yeah. know him personally, but you know, he's, he's got the Substack thing. Mm-hmm. So he's been on the show. His, um, Extant StoryTech, I think is the name of his Substack. Mm-hmm. So this morning I was reading it, and he was like, you know what? I feel liberated. And I was like, same. I feel the same mm. because. We're kind of off that hamster wheel uh, right. in in the writing world where it's like I gotta write the script, okay. Now I'm waiting on notes, okay. We're gonna pass the director. I'm waiting here back, okay. Like we're taking a pause on all mm-hmm. that, and now people can just write for the sheer enjoyment of creating whatever the fuck they want to create. Mm-hmm. You don't need to worry about producers. You don't need to worry about actors. You don't need to worry about attachments. You don't need to worry about what your well, agent and manager no is gonna say. It's just like we're gonna do go back to the raw joy of doing the thing. Right. So that's been very freeing for me. I found the exact same thing. I I was so busy prior to, and and happy, you know, and, you and very no job. You fortunate no to be busy. <laughs> but I did find, I, I mean, and this is part of the reason that you know I think that we're striking is like when I was doing the the first season of Koala Man toward the end, it was we were working on 
eight episodes simultaneously. I had wow. no other writers to what? to help other than my writing partner Benji. All right. And we were doing not just the shout scripts, out to Benji. Shout out. Shout out Benji Sammet. Mm-hmm. But we were working not only on the eight simultaneous scripts, but also eight animatics simultaneously. Wow. And so it, I started to get very, that showrunner burnout was was real. And I know it sounds like, oh, boohoo, the showrunners. But it was so much you, work. that you, it, For two people, that's a lot of for work. For two people, it was yeah, a right. lot of work. And so I said to my wife, in some ways, not having to worry about any of these things is very clarifying. It's kind of nice to go and walk in a circle and sort of, it is a, you know, it's not only for a good cause, but mm-hmm. mentally. It's therapeutic. Therapeutic. Yeah. And sort of mm-hmm. like, well, I can't really do anything else right now. Right. This is like, I got to be present in this moment and I'm going to do it to the right. utmost and not worry about exactly what we said, like some deadline or some. Or someone else getting the gig. I'm not yes. worried about someone yes. else getting the staff on that thing and I got to have my sample ready and oh my God, I got to, you know, nope, not a concern. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. liberation. I, I, it is It is very liberating and it's sort of a weird mental health break. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously it's very stressful for, for other reasons, but sure. at financially, least yeah. financially and, and, you know, that uncertainty I think is ultimately not great for mental health. But at least for me, an enforced period of like, you can't, think about this other stuff you just can't mm-hmm. you, right. you don't it, that's on pause and it's weird to have sort of an enforced pause mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the middle of your professional life because it it's it's just unusual and so I'm actually trying to be as present like on like I I'm, I'm doing cr- like a lot of crossing guard duties at, <laughs> at CBS Radford you know a lot of like all right hold up everybody okay let's well, that's go. another role you could play that's a, that's a uh, oh, yeah. oh I would oh, crush a crush a crush. <laughs> crush, a crush All right, kids. <laughs> Sit your ass down. So, so, but this is, I think what you're saying. Both you guys are saying something interesting that I feel like is part of what it is as a as a as a professional writer is that you are working on a lot of things mm-hmm. constantly, and I feel that you know because like I was off my show waiting to come back. And I you know just five six things that are that i'm trying to handle you know like two scripts and chasing them to rice or something development hell just development <laughs> just a, a lot of stuff and i just feel like you know people who are listening that i noticed there's a lot of people who are younger writers they're just working on one project mm-hmm. you know and it's like you know what happens when you get into the you know that you break in and you start moving you start realizing i gotta really turn it up right. because i want because you because you don't know what's gonna get is gonna is gonna move next and and you're right the burnout showrunner or someone else you know like i had like there's three movies i was trying to produce two short films all this kind of crazy shit and it's just like i can just downshift to first gear right now and i can like sleep mm-hmm. better i think know? this is my first time in 10 years that i'm writing something for myself See, there you like go. I'm just focusing on, you know, luckily I have my list of shit that log lines and things that I've been working on. So I'm like going back on, oh, what would I do a twist on it now? You know, because I'm not that person from then. You know what I mean? And this is the first time ever. So like I'm talking to my reps going, in two months I'm going to have some new shit for y'all. You know, like three new things. You know, they're yeah. like, wow, that fast. I'm like, you know who you're fucking with. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I, I think that that's really great, though. And I think that it is a, t- a chance to sort of do an artistic check in about, well, freed from chasing gigs, yeah. like, you know, trying to run down that next gig. Or I am the same as you uh, with. I've always been 
the person that put out as many lines as possible. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of your career, most of them, if any of them, don't come back, right? right? But as you go a little bit farther, they start to come back a little bit more. And then when you have that philosophy, suddenly you're overcommitted and stressed out. And it's like, how am I going to balance all these things? And so it is sort of, I really respond to what you're saying, Hillary. Like, being able to say, hey, wait a minute, I, what would I actually like to write right. in a vacuum, freed from any sort of, like, what's the next big IP? Or mm -hmm. what's, what's this? We want another succession. We want another succession. <laughs> or, what, or, or an open <laughs> writing assignment. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's Hamburglar. That's another role you could position. I've burgled too many hamburgers for real in my life. I, I, I'm, no, uh, wait, no, wait. I'm getting, I'm getting the, sh I'm getting some of the characters mixed up. Hamburger. It was different from Mayor McCheese. Oh yes, Mayor McCheese yeah. from Grimace. Yes. Right. Okay. Right. Well, Grimace is actually. Oh no! You're right. was purple. Yeah, purple. Mary McCheese was, 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 Grouse, was not right. around a whole lot because I think there were some issues with him. They had a little. Okay, we're gonna go way back now. <laughs> they had a little. Uh, hang on, guys. Those of us who remember the first McDonald's playground. Yeah, the right. toys. Yeah. No, the playground. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A big yeah. attraction. Go to YouTube. You can find a video right. about how they. The first one they put in was somewhere in somewhere somewhere here in SoCal. Mm -hmm. It was mobbed the first day. It was like, and you look at the rise. You look at the attractions, if you will, of this playground. And you're like, oh, this is fucking dangerous because <laughs> the, the the freaking slide was circular and and sharp. Steel. Yeah. Steel metal right. in the sun right? right then they had this other hot, thing because um, he had like there was a sheriff sheriff I don't know I don't remember but he was shaped like a burger Roscoe Pico that's memory cheese cheese was a burger with that's, a cheeseburger head yeah it, they had a jail there was a oh, jail yeah that that's you climbed weird. up in and it was like a big hamburger bun hmm. but it had bars around I've it. seen that I've yeah. seen you know that what I mean? and I, I was that, like yeah. who's is that that's not. That, there was a. It was a cop guy. Was like, that's anyway, like the timeout. Anyway, to, to see, see him. he had a mask. He had like a. No, no, not the that's, mask. No, he had a badge. Oh, that's blue. Hamburger. Right, right. He was blue. I'm gonna have to look it up later when okay. I get to my phone. But honestly, people are probably screaming right now because they're like, "It's so and so." I'm like, "Fuck, I can't remember." <laughs> but um, it, the optics of children in a, in behind bars on this mm -hmm. ride. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the '80s, people. This is this is what went but on. I had this conversation <laughs> with Benji, my writing partner, the other mm -hmm. day, which is. Now that I have kids, I do feel a little sad that they will never experience sort of the magic right. of what I like. I grew up in in a very suburban place in Coral Springs, Florida, which is by Fort Lauderdale. So our McDonald's play place was like the sea. The spot. Yeah. It was the spot. It was like yeah. SeaWorld. It was like the coolest, best, most fun place in Coral Springs. Right. And. I, it, they're just not like that anymore. No, no. It's like completely no. different. And and on YouTube, we were looking at old commercials. Yes. Of, and I was like, oh my gosh, I remember when it was like that. I remember mm. the, f the visceral feeling. If of, someone said, I'm having my birthday party at McDonald's, that made your yes. semester or yeah. it made your school years. Yeah. Like, it, was oh like, shit. it was like Chuck E. Cheese. Like, and, everybody was going. And people, like, the idea of someone having a birthday party at McDonald's now is, in, I, I feel like near like a kid, a little kid. Yeah. Like, 
They would never. They would never. And and it was so normal. And yeah. it was and exactly what you said. It was so exciting. It was like yes. Oh, it was a good weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna party. Like, we're gonna fucking party. Yeah. Let's go. It was right. Halloween and it was birthday party at McDonald's. And you're like, all right, now I'm gonna lay off all the sweets because I'm gonna really go hard exactly. on those particular days. And I am getting to an age of where I like I, I can feel the nostalgia creeping into mm-hmm. my bones. Like mm-hmm. oh, you, we used to only have eight bits in our video games. And we, <laughs> and we liked that they looked like shit, actually. Right. You know, like, but 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 I do think sometimes I like that's one thing. Very, there's such a an emotional. It's connection. visceral. It's very visceral. Especially mm-hmm. when you start to see the things of your childhood being morphed and disappearing, like HBO. Right. Right. HBO was was you know an important channel. You know to get on cable back in the day, back in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s. It's like you were. Mm-hmm. Appointment viewing was sometimes a Saturday night, the premiere on HBO. Right. Yeah, there's that logo, the street, the lights yes. coming yeah. on, that, spinning inside. Yeah. Feature presentation. That was yeah. like appointment viewing. Yeah. Or the, the the magic of sometimes you'd wait and wait and wait for some movie that was in the theaters to then be broadcast on ABC right. or NBC. And you're like, oh my God, this is an event. Everybody, like, you got to be the here. after school o'clock. special. I mean, Everything, shit. you know, yeah. so yeah, you miss that sort of. Um, we don't have that same level of urgency about right. our television anymore. I was think I I was well, I, so again this nostalgia thing. I go every night to relax. I watch music videos on YouTube. Mm. And last wait, wait, night they still have music videos. They have they they're have they're on, uh, they, they're uh, on like the good Vimo, ones. Vimo, Vivo, <laughs> whatever being, it's called. Last funny. night I went down a Michael Jackson <laughs> oh, hole, and mm-hmm. I remember saying to you know some of the younger like my. You know, some of our younger writers, I was like, mm-hmm. you don't understand. When Michael Jackson's song Black and White yes. premiered, prime time was a prime time event. Yep. Every single kid in America was like, it's happening <laughs> tonight. <laughs> we all watch it, videotapes ready to push yes. play, yes. record. It, and, and it's, and I feel like now that. Mm-hmm. It's gone. That idea is is insane. It sounds yes. insane mm-hmm. that anyone yep. could be that popular. Yep. That we're all going to get together and watch a video. Yep. And I'm like, I wa- I I did it. I experienced mm-hmm. this. And I, I there was a sort of, you know, I go back and forth about the monoculture. Like, yeah, you know, is it better that, you know, when we all watch all the same things? But there are moments where I'm like, the power of like everyone doing something at the same. You time. You remember where you were? Yes. I remember where I was when I saw that Michael Jackson Motown 25th special. I was just going to say that. Oh, I was that just going to say that. The moonwalk. moonwalk. Yeah. I remember where I was when the Challenger exploded. I remember. You know, there's certain things that you just the milestones you just you're not going to forget. Well, yeah. I, I think that you say that about the monoculture. I, the thing is, is that like we, I think now there's such there's such dispersion in everything. I think it. I think it. I think it lends to the fact there's so much division in what's going on in the country because the country is so big. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about those other countries, the the cultures are more specific. They're smaller. You know, you go to Europe, the countries are like the size of like Ohio. Right. You know, the whole country. You know, and there's all this shit going on. And here it's like, what's going on in Ohio? I don't even know. I don't want to know. What are they watching in Ohio? You know, I don't even know. Well, they're watching CBS procedurals is what they're watching. Blue Bloods. Equalizer, fucking Chicago Fire, that's what they're watching. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no. no, no it's, but, 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 but I yeah. think it's because the... the but you were saying that that's the culture. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. they're not watching HBO. HBO yeah. is, you know, so this Game of Thrones, they did a little graph years ago. Yeah. And it was like, it was popular in the, coast. the West Coast. The, the coast, yeah. yeah. The well, middle wasn't watching I, I think it's because... 
I was talking to someone about this one time when I was writing this movie, and it's like what you what you realize about certain people, certain places is there's the velocity of life right. yes. that is so high, and like and it has to do with like some place like L.A. Southern California in general is like it's such a um, it's such a crossroads of of global culture coming in and out. You know, like whether I mean I mean like. I, maybe like four or five blocks from me, there's this house that I used to, that's right by the library. It's right across from the library. And I'm like, this house is really live. This is really dope. No one's ever there. No Ooh. one's fucking ever there. These lights are off, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, not for sale, blah, blah, blah. One day I drive by, like in the wintertime one time, and it's like these Saudis. Hmm. who are there on vacation. I was like, oh, now I see why. This is their vacation home. And they roll here for whatever for like a month or two. They come out of Saudi Arabia. They do their thing and they leave. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that is what's not happening in Ohio. Like no one in Saudi Arabia is owning a house there. But they come here, spend money, and they're bringing everything that they've probably bounced around like five different countries mm -hmm. before they got here. And mm -hmm. they're bringing all that kind of energy it's and, the and third wealth or fourth and stuff. Home. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like... You know, and, and that adds to the to the to the excitement of what it is to be in the coast. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you like that when you watch these edgy shows like a Game of Thrones, you're into that more because there's more of a of a there's a there's a there's a spike to that type of storytelling <clears throat> that I think is, is more in the frequency that that we're living in here. That is not you know, if you're living, yeah, everyone's gonna pick their poison of what yeah. resonates with them, you know, yeah. and what the pa what pacing resonates with them. Yeah. So yeah. Let me ask you a question, Dan, since we have you here. Um, of course, I'm going to talk about Stark in a minute, but let me just ask you, when you describe yourself as a writer, because you've done, I mean, you go from, you know, animation to all these different type of shows to one, one day at a time, one day at a time. Mm -hmm. yep, you know what I mean? I mean, that's such a jump. So it's, it's clearly to me about the type of themes you write that allows you to do that. I, I, I would say that if I were to define myself is in one sort of reductive way i guess or like I, I writer is certainly what i would pick right i mean I, I that i remember actually this will relate back to star trek but i remember in third grade sitting down and going well guess it's time for me to write a star trek novel <laughs> <laughs> and I, you, know, I, like, hand wrote, you know so and i actually got a talking to from mrs studley that was really her name mrs studley hilarious about I was reading too many Star Trek novels and she had called a meeting with my mom and my mother came in and said, I think we should just be excited that he's reading for fun. I agree. You know, and yes. so I remember from a very young age that being interested in writing, being interested in storytelling. And then I, I have to give a lot of credit to my ninth grade English teacher, Mrs. Lambert. She gave me an award like at a, like the you know like the little high school awards at the end of the year but she gave me the best writer of you know in ninth grade mm. award and i remember that was the first time i was having a really burgeoning awareness of oh i might actually be good at this in a way that maybe other right. people aren't good at it or at least that i am interested in continuing to get better at this thing and so mm -hmm. that was i guess i'm talking about identity you know really is sort of starting to think of myself as oh maybe I am a writer, and I and I was really only good at <laughs> I was really only good at writing and acting. Mm -hmm. Math, math is not your thing. Math, I, I in twelfth grade, my senior year of high school, I swear to God, I had a homework sheet on addition and subtraction <laughs> in a class called math analysis, Hilarious. which was just euphemism for like, especially at cousin. It was it was, it was, it was math, adjacent, right? It was, it was truly like. 
you are so bad at math that we have to just make sure you know how to do uh, that. That's so you count your change back. Count your change. It was yeah. a lot of like, you're going to be okay, but we are very worried about your mask. So it, so, so it also was sort of clarifying in that respect. It was just like, well, I'm not going to be a fucking scientist, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be, you know, a business guy. And even now I have stress around that. But so... I have always been interested in in writing in, in all different kinds of forms. My my actually, I thought I was going to be writing fiction. That's mm. what my college degree is in. That's what kind of stories were you writing? Uh, about? Weird fiction, okay. like that as a category, like H.P. Lovecraft, <clears throat> Stephen mm-hmm. King. Right. My great saddest sort of well, one of my saddest career moments is I won. I submitted a short story to Weird Tales magazine, which mm. is uh, you know goes mm-hmm. back to mm-hmm. the twenties yeah. and it's yeah. you know, yeah. published Lovecraft and Robert Block and all. Mm. Robert E. Howard who created Conan the Barbarian and, uh, and all the and all that kind of stuff, and one of my stories was accepted in a blind submission wow. or just like in an open submission, mm-hmm. and then the magazine went out of business, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was never published. And Damn. then it was oh, no. it, it's come back subsequently, but with different editors. And I just oh, I wanted that to be published so badly. So mm-hmm. that that was where I thought my head was going to be at. But I met Benji in college, mm-hmm. and he I'm, I'm like I said I'm from. You know, around. Or maybe I didn't say. That. I'm from Coral Springs. Oh yeah, I did say that. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> is that like the Venice of Florida? Florida, Florida or the Florida? Venice of America. That yeah. is exactly okay. that. Okay. That I am so impressed. Yes, that's, I know a couple things. That's our. That's <laughs> Fort Lauderdale's nickname. So, Benji is from Tarzana, California, which for those of you who don't know is right in the heart of the valley. Right. And he said, "Well, we we were doing a lot of theater in college." And where'd you go to school? We went to Brown. Okay. I would just drop that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good at math, but somehow I got exactly. in the math. Well, I had to go the other route. So, like, I was, like, student Lamont's council done. president. I was okay. I was in all the plays. I was... See, I, I was, too, and that's what got me all the points that I had. Yeah. It wasn't going to school. Actually, doing the plays gave me more credit than it did going to class. I was mm. like, how did that work out? Because it shows, I think, that it shows you can commit to something and that you mm. can be ex- excellent at something okay. and be dedicated to something. And, and uh, I was the prom king, no big deal. No, no, but see, <laughs> you're the prom king? So, so I courted the nerds and then they, <laughs> and then they rallied to my side. It was That's the, a movie. The, <clears throat> that, uh, oh, I had never thought about that. <laughs> so so I, it's, it's interesting you say that about the commitment to something, you know, because it's interesting because it's like everyone can do grades. Mm-hmm. Not everyone, not to say, but you know what I'm saying, but people can do grades because you just, because you have to go to school. Yeah. So it's all right, just apply myself, blah, blah, blah. But to do these extracurricular things and then do them well and, and, and not just be like, you, you know, I'm not just the guard in Hamlet. I'm like Hamlet. Right. You know, it's like, okay, you have like shown a commitment to something right. and that's, and someone was telling me one time, <clears throat> it's just about, it's like, that's the whole kind of the thing about college is that employers look at you as like you committed to something and you saw it through and it's a rigorous thing you know you're not just going and hanging out and and learning like the base level like you really had to like you know so it's interesting you say that you know i i think that i i even find that when i interview writers now i'm much more interested in their interests and Mm -hmm. what they do in their personal lives and what we could talk about you being DM, you know. All uh, that. Well, <laughs> I, I, I have a pretty good crew for. I've, I have a pretty good Dungeons and Dragons crew. Um, I've heard through the grapevine about your. Just to interrupt you, sorry, uh, really quickly about your DM, and I'm. I don't know that much about DM to be honest, but I was fascinated when I heard you, you put together a whole thing about um, heavy metal, 
and you used like all the yes I, I well so i think i should i, I I kind of backdoored my way into playing with a lot of really interesting people because right. my friend <clears throat> Joe is knows a lot of people, but some of the people in our group include like Tom Morello, Jack Black, Dan Weiss, who co-created Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. the Big Show, the wrestler Paul, mm -hmm. who's the Big Show, the greatest. Oh, that's the most <clears throat> impressive name he's, on that roster. He's <laughs> the greatest, greatest human you could ever meet in your entire life. My Paul has become a close. Oh friend. my word! He's met my kids. He's come to my house. You know, he's he's the best. He's one of my closest friends now, and it oh, all happens. He's still my wrestling heart because <laughs> I, remember, I remember being at Monday Night Raw and gotten getting a really good seat, and where you could hang over the railings where they walk down the ramp. Mm. And I remember two things from that show. First, Randy Orton. If you don't know who Randy Orton is, oh. Google it. Okay, I mean ripped. The Viper. The Viper. Walk by. And he was all oiled up, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, like the muscles are popping, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Randy, you're a greasy pig. And this man stopped and turned and looked at me. And I'd never felt more shook in my life. Yeah, I'm like all tough. I'm like, yeah, I'm ex-Air Force. I don't know. Say something. And he looked at me like, you're a fucking piece of lint. Wow. Uh, and then I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The next thing I remember is the next, and then I remember Big Show walking down, and I was like, "This dude is freaking gigantic." When you see him in person, he's a giant. I mean, legit. And and it's funny because occasionally he'll demonstrate to me like that's that wrestling stare. And yeah, suddenly, Th that's like, what I got from Randy. I'm like, I know that's this is my friend, but he's giving me the wrestling stare <laughs> because they perfected. Yes, you know, they that's what Randy right. gave me. So, so I, and then I didn't fuck with Big Show when he walked out. I was like, I'm standing no, here. I'm no, a no, fan. Picture. That's my main <laughs> advice. Uh, but so, and there's a couple other people, Ryan Khalil, the NFL, you know, you're just like a great group of guys that, that we play with. Uh, but I had to step in as DM, which is the dungeon master, the game master. And so to change things up, I did a campaign that was based on Van Halen. And the, <laughs> and the premise was Diamond Dave, Dave, basically David Lee Roth was in a war with the Red Rocker, Sammy Hagar. And they were, but they were vampire lords. Love it. And they Love were it. fighting over, like, this vampire realm. And so every... That's a movie, too. Every <laughs> aspect. So it was basically the Van Halen feud, like... Yeah, in played Dungeons out in D&D. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's cool. It, it was That's pretty cool. sweet. You know, it's funny you bring up about the the Star Trek thing. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade, too, I was, like, so into D&D that my... The teacher brought my parents in and were like, yeah. you know, you're Chris's... You know, <laughs> is he okay? Is he doing any rituals at the house? You know, my mom and dad were like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But uh, he's, it's, yeah, it's, he it's, thinks he lives in Midgard or something. It's interesting because the teachers didn't understand these things. They didn't understand any of it all. You know, like, oh, and, I mean, and it was just after that, or maybe right in the middle of that, like. Um, Satanic panic stuff that was going on at that time in the yeah. mid eighties. Yeah. And everyone was just so freaked out about that. But I I mean, yeah, I I, I love it. I, I love the whole con the the concept of the DM is like you know, you're saying being a storyteller. So it's just, I mean, like th that's the storyteller of the Dungeons and Dragons thing, you know, you're like kind of not making it up on the spot, but you've thought it out <laughs> and like figured out your story and you know, you're the bard of the, the it, in, in and it requires life. improvisation. It requires mm -hmm. like being adaptable when you think that you prepared something and then your group just doesn't do what, what you thought gonna do. they were going <laughs> to do, and then you suddenly have to be like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Uh, but what you said sparked something in my mind, which is my 
uh, a younger writer was was at my house and mm-hmm. we were talking about like my career and, and and we happened to be in my kind of home office and she was like well what was your your path and maybe you you feel this way because like i was like listen like i can't ride a bike i can't <laughs> fucking roller skate i can't my wife has banned me from ever learning to ski because she's certain wow. that i'll die i said but i've read every book on this shelf interesting and i do feel like weirdly and maybe you feel the same way like read like reading star trek playing D at that formative age has actually in many ways been much more applicable to my professional sure. life than almost anything that i learned in school at any point well well i mean look like absolutely because like we talk, we talk about this a lot but the cartoons the, the stuff that was around when we <clears throat> in the 80s you were so immersed in and it was so fresh and fascinating to you and, and it hadn't been recycled yet on any level and it just and it kind of and it just like burned into your psyche about what you thought was fun and what you thought was interesting and you know I used to tell people all the time I would I, it would take so much for like CG and computer animation to in to impress me in movies because if you ever watch any anime and like you were like I've seen all this shit you're not doing anything that <laughs> I've seen you know now granted it's not photo real but it doesn't but but that didn't like take away the sense of wonder that 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 I already experienced at that formative age and that was like you know it just filled the imagination up constantly about and it just kept you from being bored and you know, back then, no cell phones, none of this shit. So that, so that when you did, you know, whatever, get in detention or blah blah blah, you you could fill your, you could pass the time by filling up your brain with stuff that you thought mm-hmm. about, you know. But, and that was ex- exactly it. The only thing I will say, just to counter on y- your thing, you know. I was really good at math too. So. Oh, wow, wow, you had it all. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here quiet because yeah, I I was also good at math. I'm here with a bunch I, of mathematicians. Math <laughs> but here's here's an interesting thing. I I grew up. I was born in Detroit, lived in Brooklyn, but I grew up since I was seven in the Bay, in East Palo Alto, mm-hmm. which is where the real movie Dangerous Minds took place. So mm-hmm. that was the high school in my neighborhood. Mm. Setting that up so you understand the type of hood I grew up like the number three most dangerous place to live in America. Right. <clears throat> we had to be, and I'm a little older than all you guys, but they're just pretty. And so, <laughs> shut up, Dan. So the interesting thing is back then, you had to be, here's, here's something that I remember about the 70s. This is what I, when I think of the 70s, I picture this. A bunch of kids in the street playing football and somebody would go, car. You remember this? What? What? Somebody I wasn't would go, around watch. the '70s, man. Watch I don't it. Know you would go, car, and everybody would spread out. The car would come through. We go back to playing again. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, <clears throat> I grew up being one of those dudes. Though I'm a nerd and I like my comics and all that mm-hmm. other shit, I'm not as deep as you and Chris are mm-hmm. with that. But I'm one of those guys who actually can dance, can play sports, mm-hmm. can ball can catch a football you know all the because i mm-hmm. had to yeah where we live at you know what i mean like when i first met my husband we would go to uh the beach at will rogers which is the gay area <laughs> and we would be throwing the ball and all the gay guys would be looking at us like what the fuck are they because <laughs> i'm catching one hand or two whatever They're like what the, who are these two straight guys out here we're like nah dude we anyway so i always find that fascinating you know when they think of us they think we can't and yeah. it's not all of us you know what I mean? Some of us can and some of us can't. Yeah. That's all. You know I mean? Well, I think, I mean, I it's not anywhere close to the same, but I, I do find that 
when I was growing up in Florida, I love my friends from Florida, but most of the time we were not talking about D and D. We were not. So I do think that I love sports. I love watching sports. Right. I think for the same reason because I did at a certain point have to find a way to sort of. It's like these guys probably don't want to talk about poetry. But we can talk <laughs> about Miami Dolphins right. and how they're yeah. sucking again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so you're yeah. right. That's, was, that, that's a good point. That's a good life skill. Sort of like, yeah. Be like, all right, I better get on board with mm-hmm. you know the Florida Marlins, you know, because because <laughs> if, if I'm, I'm not, then I don't know what to talk yeah, to them about. What are you talking about? If, if yeah, yeah, and then you would later on, you'd, you you know, you'd meet people that were sort of more like, oh, we we. We can talk about Dune. (laughs) See, okay, it's interesting you say that because. um, Do you know Rob Liefeld? I I (laughs) I've met Rob, and I actually have a piece of art I commissioned, or actually I won a um, a charity auction. So I I love his art. Okay, great. So he was I met him one time at the Comic Con. We were talking, and he was I met him a couple times. He was telling a story about how when he was in high school, he would you know. Trying to be a comic artist all the time, you know, and he and he became friends with I think the quarterback or something like that, and this guy, although he was the big stud, everything like that, he loved comics mm-hmm. too, but couldn't tell anybody, mm-hmm. you know, until he came to Rob's. He'd come to Rob's and kind of like feel like uh, now here's a part of my life that is there that I don't get to share with the people that I hang out with the most because I'm right. there doing my two days and shit like that. So it's, so I think it's interesting that you both said this is a life skill. You got to be able to like mm-hmm. find a way to step in that other stream, you know, so you can just like meet other people, you know. And there's and, and the thing is, you get stories from them that probably stay in your mind sure. that you wouldn't get from your if you stayed in a certain lane right. that would help help you now later, you know. Oh, so it's just being like, curious about the yeah, world, and that's yeah. what every writer is supposed to be, or if in every good writer should be mm-hmm. curious about the world, about knowing about different subs subsections of the world different cultures different types of people people who are into different shit mm-hmm. um yeah. but i want to kind of like go back to you went to brown and then you can you met your friend yes and Tar- and he's from tarzana yes and then you guys decided to form a writing team like, well we have been, your we, path? we have been doing a lot of theater stuff mm-hmm. at brown we and and that brown so he was acting too he was more on the directing okay. kind of tech side of things but at Brown, it's not really a thesis, but you, at the time, and I think they still have it, you you applied to a, 10 people got into a solo performance class, okay. which was you had to write and star in and produce your own hour-long solo show. Oh, wow. And you got paired up with another person who was the director of your show and sort of your producing partner and your mm-hmm. writing partner. And Benji and I had known each other, and it started to become friends. We rigged the voting. It was like a rank. It was like a rank choice voting, and I was like, "All right, if you put so and so like last, right. I'll put her second. And basically, you know, basically, like we totally cheated, and we and we got paired up with each other. And by the end of it, I would say most of the other teams never wanted to talk to each other Ooh, again. Interesting. And Benji and I had a blast, and he's a magician, so I was his beautiful assistant. In his, uh, and he did a full magic show, an hour-long magic show. Which did he cut his, you in half? He did not cut me in half, but he called him levitating, which is unbelievable. You know, so it was a lot. I had to be sworn into the like magic <laughs> right. society. You be like, like the mass magician. No, 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 no fuck the mass magician. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when he came back after college to Tarzana, he said, "Well, why don't we keep writing?" 
and I and I was in New York at the time, and my wife was in medical school, or my you know she was then my my, my girlfriend, and I, I said, sure, whatever, yeah, we'll, mm. we'll we'll keep writing, and then we started to get a little bit of attention, and then it was like, all right, I'm going to go out to LA for a week, mm. and then it was okay, I'm going to go out for a month, and then by my last year living in New York. And I lived there four years. I was basically living at Benji's mom's house with Benji and his mom. <laughs> so, so I spent a lot of time in Tarzana, um, rocking the streets, the mean streets of Tarzana. <laughs> I live in Encino now, so I guess I liked it actually. Exactly. But, so, but um, we were, you know, we were at it for a while, and uh, he was tutoring. I I was teaching at a at an after school like homework help, and mm. the, in it was actually a Korean after school in Will you know like Koreatown, and so it was a, it was. Did you did Japanese something? You studied. Something. I I did study Japanese for two years, okay, and I I was the the worst student of Japanese in the history of Brown <laughs> University. At Brown, you can take any class, pass or fail, and they sh I took it, pass or fail, and they should have failed me twice. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> math and languages come from the same part of the brain. So if you're good at math, you tend to be good at languages. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, for some reason, I thought. Yeah. I would be the exception or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it also, but in the case of of Japanese and Chinese and Korean, like it, there is a certain degree of penmanship. Oh that yeah, is important. Oh yeah, you got to know that I shit. Had shitty ass hair. <laughs> so like, it was even another degree of difficulty, yeah. which is like, not only are you bad at this, you can't even like write the characters. <laughs> you have to, have to like, use that brush, man. Got to be able to use you that just, brush writer. You can't. Yeah. So so I was like, all right. So we started to get a little bit more notice and i'm cuban so you know we as a you know take take this for what it is but <laughs> we as a team qualified for this diversity spot on okay. a lot of these things so we met around on 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 you know and i have a lot of thoughts on on diversity spots in general mm -hmm. but but i like to be uh, oh honest. episodes about that. i'm sure <laughs> you know and I, but I like to be honest about my journey yeah, because sure. I, I always say to people like when people think that there's some kind of path that can be replicated to to attain it's right. just not true everybody's yep. path is so unique and so unusual that mm -hmm. it's almost not that instructive to to, to see what other people Well you know it's interesting because the thing that Jeff Thorne always says is <clears throat> that Jeff Thorne says is that Hollywood is like a dam and the minute you can crack through and get through to the water they seal up that hole. Mm. Oh yeah, that's so, great. I mean, that's so. There's so so true. So there's no, so the next person has got no idea the hole is even there. Right. They can try, but they can't get through it because yeah. they got to find another. And now hole. they're feeling yeah. around for a while yeah. for another hole in the yeah. dam. Yeah. They're like yeah. yelling yeah. to the other yeah. side. Why won't someone show me where the fucking <laughs> hole is? That's 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 but that's what it is yeah, because it's sure. like you're right because like no one's path is the same. I mean, like the path that got me into television, like. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say don't do it. Right. You wouldn't. You would hate yourself. You'd almost kill yourself. Oh dear. You to do it. You don't want to do it. <laughs> oh dear. You know. So. Um, but no. But uh, um, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, so I completely agree. And so what ended up happening is we we met on a like we had a very tiny agent, you know, who mostly mm -hmm. rep line producers. Which okay. now I now you look back it. and I'm like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but. But well, they were still able to get you guys out there. Yeah, so I think that because I, I, you know, Cuban, people were reading us who probably wouldn't have otherwise. And so we had fair. a bunch of, you know, so we met on 30 Rock. We met on The Office. We met okay. on Parks and Rec. We met on American Dad. We met on all of these shows. Got none of these jobs. Mm. 
So were you guys coming out comedy straight up at first? We were coming out comedy straight up. Our okay. first big sort of script that got attention was a horror comedy. Okay. So it sort of, you know, it had some actual horror beats in it, but but it was also, it was called the Harvard Zombie Massacre. And the premise was <laughs> the zombies were smarter because they went to Harvard. That's funny. So they could like open doors. And right. Think it was like, and we, but could they do math? I could never write someone that could do that. <laughs> I wouldn't, it was really like, no, no, this is bullshit. <laughs> so we, we started meeting on the shows. We got none of these jobs. And then, and this is the part of it that's not able to be replicated. I happened to go to high school with Josh Gad. Ah. The actor, Josh Gad, mm-hmm. who's Olaf and was, you know, Book of Mormon. Yep. And, you know, he's a brilliant actor. And Josh was a senior when I was a freshman in high school mm-hmm. and he was basically famous from the time that he was like 15 in South yeah, Florida. For sure. Our high school production of Guys and Dolls was at the Broward Center of the performance uh, really? because it was that level of excellence. And in retrospect, it's because the other one of the other stars I show was Seth Gable, who also is now a professional actor and has been on Arrow and, and a bunch of, you know, a bunch mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. So those, those two were like, so it kind of makes sense that even though they were high schoolers, it was a really good production of Guys and Dolls, and yeah. so Josh, we had been friends, and 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 he had always said, "Well, you know, if I ever get a show, I want you guys to write for my show," which of course is a, you know a very actory thing to We've say. We've all heard right? that, <laughs> sure. And we're like, "Okay, Josh." <laughs> then he went to New York, he did Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. and he came back with a show, wow, which was sixteen hundred pen, and he oh, invi- yeah, yeah, yeah. and he which was on NBC with Bill Pullman and Jenna Elfman, mm-hmm. and you know a, a lot of great people, and. He then invited us to the pilot punch-up mm. of 1600 Pen, and we treated it like eight mile. Like, this is our moment. Yep. We're writing jokes. We got to, you know, so we probably wrote 75% more jokes than we pitched mm. in that punch-up. But it was one of those rare moments where, you know, I, I remember saying to my wife, I was like, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if this goes well, everything could be different. Mm. And and it's kind of a lot of pressure to go into a situation like that. You it's, know, a, to, it's a lot of pressure. You know, mm-hmm. but we were very prepared. And now having done these punch ups, you know, as an older person, I realized that a lot of the writers who were there probably did not prepare to that extent, you know. <laughs> but but we did. And that was the breaking point. We got a ton of material in the pilot. Some a bigger agency noticed us and from that point things that was our first job on, mm-hmm. on that show and that and that was so that's like so my you know so i said right my advice is go to high school with a famous broadway star <laughs> who gets it like that's not but i but some of the things that we had done in preparation for that was like meeting with the diversity executives at nbc places, yeah. right yeah. so we had met with with that person like two years earlier mm. but rather than being an unknown quantity mm-hmm. They were like, oh, I love them. I've met with them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it really is just like sitting down with someone for 45 minutes is the difference between a yes and a no. And so you and, never and two know. years later, they get more power. Y- yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know. That is an absolute, absolute. I mean, and people don't, people always lament or whatever to begrudge the general meetings. But I It's remember, a long game. It's a long game. But I remember in 2018... I met twenty eight twenty eighteen yeah I met with Letitia over at Sci Fi yep. and and I was working on this pilot and she was the only person who read it and after that uh, I mean and I saw her through some through Hilliard and through Derek Hughes and at the time I I had no reps and 
two years later when I met with Terry on Star Trek, he he had read my script when I met with him in the meeting, but he, he heard from Alice Kurtzman, you got to meet this guy, he's great. But I was talking about the pod, he was like, I heard about this. And I was like, you didn't hear about my thing because no one's read it. I didn't send it out. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, 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 I've heard about it. And, uh, and I was like, oh, you know, Letitia, because she's the only person in town right. who has read mm-hmm. it. You know, and I was like, but that was two years ago. You know, so in my mind, so people do remember. They do talk about the, the and, things that stand out. And that must have been such a satisfying moment yeah. for you because, yeah. well, first of all, I'm so jealous that you got to write Star Trek. But <laughs> that's, I'm going to move past it. But, but I'm so unbelievably blown away by what you all accomplished. Like, Thank you. Arguably Thank you. the Maybe the best season of Star Trek of all time. Like, Thank you. I, I, Thank truly, you. Wow. Like, Chris predicted wow. season three would be. It, it is. Wow. I said it. I said it. Early I mean, on. season three of TNG. Like, it, it's it's of course it's building on on the classic TNG. I mean, but man, the cliffhanger at the end. It, it's like, true. I am the cutest of Borg. Ruined everybody's <laughs> summer. Bigger than that. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Okay. They work in concert. But 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 what you accomplished by. By allowing those characters to have lived lives yes. in the interim mm-hmm. was the most, it, it seems like an obvious thing to say now, but I don't think it was an obvious way to go in, in, in how much you leaned into it. Yeah. Into we, that, I, I, I'll tell you this. Yeah. We spent, so we started breaking season three. <laughs> I remember it was the last week of April. I, I never forget this. I was so scared about coming back to the show. I was because my episode got thrown out basically because they had changed because I did 209 they changed to and 210 kept changing and they were like I turned it in day later like we're not using any of it I mean they used some of it but then I was like what the fuck that's man? a hard feeling yeah you know I, I mean that yeah, I mean and there's well. stuff in it there's like scenes that are left but it's so much of it had been torn apart it was just insane but I remember like on my birthday we were like I was you know we were celebrating a blah, blah and then we just sat down and said okay let's talk about season three and then by the time we got into it and like I remember a month later on Memorial Day weekend, we were we were meeting that we meet we like that a weekend we had two zooms that weekend, and we were like here's what we got to do. Like Terry had this whole thing about when we kind of an idea about them coming back, and Terry was like, who are these people now? Mm-hmm. Who are they now? If we don't get that right, this isn't is not going to seem right. Mm-hmm. And, and even though we'd seen Deanna and Riker in season mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. he kept saying, "What more can we do? What mm-hmm. like like where can we put them? Because that because and, and we were like, well, yeah, because that allows us to kind of like create shit for them that will come out in the season yes. that no one else knows, right. the audience doesn't know, you know. And it, and it was like, it was fun to be able to have that freedom, mystery, yeah, that freedom to write about stuff. You know, it's it's. That foundation is so, it's like the hard work at the front, but Mm. when you Mm -hmm. do it, when you take the time and you have the time, you know, which is not always the case as you guys. If you have a mini room, you don't have the time. Right. Well, hence why we're on strike. You know, like, (laughs) like if you have a mini room, you don't have the time for that. Mm -hmm. You just don't. And, but that work, you know, I had a professor, a theater professor in college who, and this, I don't know if this is actually relevant, but. He said that, like, he, it was like a black cube. You know, like black cubes in theater. It's like a black cube. And he was, like, sitting on a black cube. Mm-hmm. And then he turned it over, and he, and he was like, all right, everyone turn away. And, and then he, like, was sitting on it. And he, and then he, we turned back on, and, and he was sitting on it. He had turned it over. And there was something different about the way he was sitting on it. We couldn't explain why. And when he sat up and he stood up, 
he had turned it over so that it was a side of the cube that there was a hole in the bottom of the cube. Mm. And his greater point was, even if the audience doesn't understand what is like provoking you to have it like a like a like what's going on behind the scenes, which is like you can't see that I'm sitting on a hole, right. but you're sensing that there's something different different about the way that I'm presenting myself mm-hmm. to you right now. I sometimes feel writing is the same way, which yeah. is you can tell the shows. Like, like it doesn't really surprise me at all to hear that that was the beginning of the conversation for season three because you can tell the shows that I, I think that take the time to make those decisions up front rather than doing it catch as catch can, which, which mm-hmm. you know, can work, mm-hmm. but also can really not. Mm-hmm. It usually doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it was crazy. I mean, I'll say this now. I, could, I, I, I can never say it at the time, but, um, you know, we were like we were coming up with everyone's the time between the 25 years not knowing if we could get them back. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Because mm-hmm. they were like, mm-hmm. well, can we afford and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And we were like, and we were, and we were running this spreadsheet about like so-and-so in this many episodes because we get it for, it was just crazy. And we were like, yeah, but what about the story? Like, it, it was just keep cutting up stuff, keep cutting up stuff. And we just had like, we had a room, we had a whole room. We had like, three writers rooms right and just the walls of like character stuff everybody just and, and i mean some of it made it some of it didn't but it was we, but he gave us the time to do that it's the know? brains it's a yeah. few weeks at the start of a room where you're just brainstorming yeah what just, yeah who are these people also what are the arcs we want to go on arcs for the season yeah, yeah. i mean it was, it was a lot, you know many rooms you don't have the time for that it's mm-hmm. get get it going get it done fast you're working at scale yep. turn it over Bye. And, and maybe you'll be asked back to write maybe. the episode. Maybe. You know, and I, was, that's, I was telling him, I just helped staff two shows. I was number two with Ben Watkins for the last year. Mm-hmm. And we had two shows at the same time that started in February. They had to have four scripts by May 1st. I mean. <laughs> two shows. It can't, I mean, it, it, it can't be good. I mean, like people complain. I heard someone on Twitter complaining like, oh, the writers don't need a raise because there's so much material is shitty I'm like it's shitty because of the working conditions because of the mini room situation you know you guys don't know that like you so got to this point where you watch and like stuff when they had <clears> all this time to develop and, and, and as the is the, the whole it's sort of like when you do anything where it's like if you shorten the development process on a software you, you put the beta out and then you kind of start fucking with it but you don't have time to fuck with the show mm-hmm. you put or the beta like out shortening my preseason training time mm-hmm. if yeah. I'm Tom Brady if I'm yeah. Roger Federer yeah, whatever, yeah. I need those weeks to get ready for the season yep. yeah. you start shortening it down now I'm prone to injury now I'm prone to like yep. you know throwing interceptions now I'm prone to like having a shitty performance in the opening weeks because I didn't have the freaking Your amount body of time has to, to heal. Prep I mean, like, you yes. need it. I mean, you know, the, 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 I, there was a, cause, cause we were shooting season two as we were breaking season three and, and everything yeah. like that. that. That's challenging. And it was yeah. very challenging yeah. in a lot of ways. Challenging for the actors too. The act, yeah. Well, but that was the thing too. You know, we got to that point where we were like, half this cast ain't coming back mm. and we were still shooting them. Like, and typically as cast, if they're going to let you go, it's after you've shot, you right. know, we're, Hey, we're not coming back next season, blah, blah, blah. Not when you still got to work. <laughs> you know, I, I remember I was like, who's having that call? Cause I don't want to, I was like, I'm glad I'm not, uh, a producer on this show because right. goddamn, but you know, but but they were all professionals about it. And, I mean, I mean, but it's one of those things where you want to be able to, you know, not let your brain get so cramped with so much stuff, so that you can um, 
develop cool stuff. I mean, but you know, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, in many rooms, I mean, you can't do this. I've never been in one, but it's like, you know, Terry was lucky to get three writers that he had worked with extensively before. Mm -hmm. You know, like Chris Monfett and Sean Tretta started their careers in 12 Monkeys, and they did all four seasons with him on that, and they came in. Well, Chris is already on the show in season two, but Sean came in on season three, and, and those three had a uh, a shorthand, yeah. and then there was someone else who came in uh, who was on season two, but he worked with Terry on MacGyver, and 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 he knew how to play it like a conductor, you know. Yep. And it was very much like I got the time to do that and think about that and where to rely on certain people and where not to. And that's the thing that if you don't have enough time because mm -hmm. of the schedule, mm -hmm. the mini room, then it's like uh, shit's gonna fall. It's not gonna work, you know. It's so. also you know one of the issue. Not it wasn't an issue because I loved my staff but but i guess it was an issue is that because of the cost cutting and because of they're trying to do everything at the lowest price point possible i'm 39 i was the oldest person in my room hmm. and i tried to hire a, a more experienced number two and they just they offered him scale mm. and my number two said i haven't worked for scale in 20 years Mm. Crazy. And so what ended up happening, and, and I think that this had a cascading effect, is mm -hmm. what I was talking before about how stressed I was, you know, right. it was because Benji and I were the only, I mean, the other people are amazing, fantastic writers, but but did not have a lot of experience. experience. And as a result, so much then falls on you two. on the showrunner. And you're trying everything. to teach people how you do this job yeah. while not having middle management to sort of cushion you a little yep. bit. That's what, that's what the mid-levels are kind of there mm -hmm. for. I remember that on my first show. We had... Jeff Melvoin was a showrunner. So what was your first, what was it's going to be show? perfect on this? It was show. Army Wives ten years Army ago, Wives. and so Jeff yeah. Jeff Melvoin was a showrunner. Mm -hmm. But we had middle management, like a co-producer level, that kind of was like, "Hey, came in our." I remember they came in our. They, they were a team, and so they came in our office and they said to the staff writers, "They said, look, this is you guys' first gig, and we're here to sort of be like, you got questions, come to us. Don't bother." The co-EPs yep. don't bother the showrunner. Like your first, I'm your first like point in your chain of command. Yep. Come to us, ask us the questions. And, was, and so when you don't have that, yep. now you're fielding all the freaking questions. Who was it that just put something? Oh, it was Steve Harvey. Mm -hmm. Steve Harvey's talk show. Now this is a totally different thing, yep. but um, he had a lot of his staff members coming directly to him all day for, with questions. And he's like, okay, no. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna put a sign up outside my dressing I room. That. Says, "Do that. not come, like, don't come <laughs> in." And people took it like the wrong way. <laughs> exactly. But it's, the problem is, you have to have these other levels. Has to be, the book right. change the command. You can't do it all. You can't yeah. do it all. No. The thing that they say, the thing that I used to hear all the time before I got in the show was, the people who are like, you know, supervising producers stuff like that, that, that they take bullets for you. Yeah, you know, and, and they I, should be. And, and yeah. you know, I, and I used to say, I get what that means theoretically. Sure. But in, but in, in, until you see someone actually take the bullet, you know, yep. you're like, oh, yeah. okay, now I see. And the thing is, they got to know to do that. And younger people don't know what to do. When yeah. shit happens, yeah. you know, when shit yeah. blows up, then, then when the shit blows up, yep. they're saying to themselves, and they talk to the boss. Yeah. No, no, you have dude who's or, or well, girl. A good supervising producer should be helping that staff writer whose script just got blown yeah. up for a reason. It's not producible per the production side, or the studio has a bunch of notes. That person should be the one say, "All right, let's go in the room, yep. you Figure and I, and let's work on it." And the showrunner can then be in post 
or deal, deal with any drama on set all or shit. be working on oh my goodness we got to get that season finale you know up on the up on the cards yeah. i was so, uh, yeah. i was number 2 on a go 90 network show a few mm-hmm. years ago and some big drama shit happened with the showrunner and he came to me in my office and he's like i need you to take a bullet for me wow. and i was like wow this is going to get me fired and it did oh wow Yep. Wait, what? Well, that's I'll tell a, you about that story. That's later. the kind of bullet that you should. I'm, yeah, I'm I don't talk about it too often on here. Well, yeah. that that's that's unfortunate, and that's mm-hmm. I think you know the other side of it. But I think you know what I was thinking about when you're talking, Chris, was the four of us were fortunate to have. We were able to produce our episodes. Mm-hmm. We were able to be on set, and and when you brought up one day at a time mm-hmm. earlier. It sort of is kind of weird that I wrote on this multi-cam mm-hmm. when most of what I'm doing is either animation or things like genre de- Detective Pikachu, mm-hmm. genre stuff. But we produced a lot of episodes of that show. And when you're doing a multi-cam, you are there. You're Thanks. on the set. And it's mm-hmm. not like... Yeah, yeah, you're, doing, yeah. you're doing jokes on the fly. Which I don't know like how people do that. 60 seconds to come yeah. up with a new joke. <laughs> and it's like you learn the how to bo- produce. The, the yeah. gun is at your temple. Be funny or else. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, look, the, the first time I ever shadowed, there was a show on NBC called Cracked that I was that I was shadowed on. Mm-hmm. And I never knew how multicam worked. I mean, you, you know, you know how anything works that you're not thinking drama about, people. you know, you yeah. drama people. And I'm a film guy more than anything. And I go there and I'm like, oh, you guys are doing a play. Yep. Yeah. And you're like spending three days rehearsing it and then you're doing a day to be sh- Oh, shit. Okay. Well, y'all motherfuckers better know your lines that are being rewritten every night. <laughs> so it's just crazy on everybody, you know? And be able to say, like, hey, here's a completely different line. Can yeah. you drop it into this take? And by the way, we only, if we don't get this tonight, it's, we will never have an opportunity to do this yeah. again. Yeah. And so I, I, what I have said to, to younger writers is, and, and I've been very fortunate, and Benji and I, had this as a goal was we wanted to try everything mm. and i think that that kind of comes back to your question earlier is how do you do you think of yourself as a writer or how do you do it i said to myself you know if we're going to be doing screenwriting i want to try it all i want to do a multicam i know it's not like cool necessarily but it's very classic it's very you learn a lot god you learn a lot i think i've worked on one yeah and you know that i think in many ways multicams are the hardest thing that you can they do. are the hardest mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. i i think mm-hmm. i'm gonna cut you off but i think that's why they're not allowed on the air that much mm-hmm. because people the skill put, set is people, gone people away put them on because they like think an idea is cool that someone might have pissed and sounded cool mm-hmm. but then it's like you got to deliver 22 and a lot, unpredictable it, live audience. The, yeah, there's so there's. I mean, like the 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 tension on that is we can't correct anything. No, you know we can't correct shit in. You're post. not gonna fix it in post. We're yeah, not, we can't, you know, it's like nobody's going to ADR. Nobody's going to ADR. Look, there's a time. Hey, let's do it again <laughs> for the like like they might roll like, like like a section back, a scene back, you know. But they usually it's like what we've shot. We're it's gonna air, you know. That's and why they have three of our cameras too. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. so intense. Um, and you're right, the skill set is gone. And it was crazy. You go back and you look at shows like, you know, Dick Van Dyke show or shit mm-hmm. like that, and you're like, these motherfuckers were like, how did hell, they do? I'll go back oh, yeah. to Alf. You know, Alf. How the hell they do Alf? You got a puppet <laughs> out there, yeah. a live audience. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, a lot yeah, happening. You know, well, 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 because dude was. Coked up, you know, with the hell? <laughs> Alf was coked no, up. No, the creator. What's going no, on? There's a, there's, a, there's a movie called Prone at Midnight that's about the guy who created. He wrote a book too about oh, okay. uh, the, the guy that created Alf. Alf. Yeah, the writer. The writer, not Co- the 
Al Puppet was but, on but, coke. He was on cat. He was on cat. Yeah, but right, the thing right. is, is though, <laughs> thing is though, he the, the head writer's on coke. Like, oh, he's feeding that into the puppet. He's feeding that to the oh, kid. He's feeding that to the staff. Oh, that explains shit. so much. Yeah, that so, explains the cat eating. Only someone on coke <laughs> would come up with eating cats. I'm still mad about Dude, that shit. It's wild. One of the shows I worked on with Pamela, we did a three camera show. And I remember we were sitting in the room and we go down to the rehearsal. And I'm standing next to the number two. And we're, they say action. And we're watching. And I'm standing by the video village and I'm watching him. And soon, every time they say action, he's got his, his script and his pen and he goes like this. And he closes his eyes. So finally I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm listening. Like, for what? Specifically. He says, pace. I'm listening for the joke. I'm listening, you know what I mean? The tone, all that. And he's just making like weird, like weird little doodles on his script that he understands. And he'll come back and just go, what if this, 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 and this? Bam. And I was like, oh, shit. Because it has to work yeah. audio wise. So yeah. now when I'm on the all. set, bitch, I'm sitting like this. <laughs> you know what it's, I mean? It's su- that's such a great story because yeah. it, it shows you that. There's tri- I always think of it like Batman. It's like mm-hmm. there's tricks in your utility belt as a writer that right. you can pick up from any experience, good and bad. You know, I sometimes the bad experiences are just as educational, if not more, than than the good ones. And maybe right. that's obvious, but like I certainly have lived that too. Right. You know, where you're like, wow. Well, someday when I'm in charge, I, here are the things I definitely won't be doing. <laughs> you know, right. and you're like this and this exactly. and this and this. You know, and it's. So yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, and if you have the opportunity in your career to to try a bunch of different things and see, mm-hmm. it, you know, what's great about animation is that it's very much a perfectionist medium. <laughs> you can do it forever. Mm. You can change lines pretty much until the very day that it goes out into the world. But as long as it matches, as long as it matches, right, you know. Right. But it's tedious. You know, yeah. it is a te- It's like a painstaking exacting Rhythm, thing. It's like, you, I hope mm-hmm. you enjoy watching the same cut of a thing a uh, hundred times. Actually, this kind of sounds kind of awesome. To so, me. So, so, so people are like, that sounds perfect. And then other times you're like, I wish, I wish it was like shoot night and I never have to think about this again. <laughs> you know, that was the nice thing on one at a time. It was like, well, it's done. I will never think about this episode right. again in my right. entire life right. because it's done. It's over. We got mm-hmm. what we got and goodbye. Right. I have a so, oh go ahead. So I want to go back to you a while, but you uh, you mentioned um, the eight bit video game, mm. yeah, and you mm. mentioned animation, yeah, which leads me to asking about Pikachu, yeah. How would you get this? Is it because I'm I'm curious because in the last four since like <clears throat> Sonic or so mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. these video game movies mm-hmm. have kind of they, they they've kind of they've been cracked. Whereas before they were never working, mm-hmm. and now like, and your film was one of the ones that I think like really, like you it know, was like huge, yeah, like it like set a standard, and it kind of surprised people because they're like yeah. Pikachu, yeah, 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 Pokemon, Pokemon. So, so it, it is really it, it's a I, I think that okay, a couple things. I'll start at the beginning, and then I'll, I'll so. I'll preface it by saying it was the first fresh movie adapted <laughs> from a video game at Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Right. Uh, so, yes. But, um, so take that, Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> I helped out on Sonic, too. I, I, we love Sonic. We love mm-hmm. Sonic. But take that, Sonic. Um, the way that it came about was it was another one of those. 
I don't want to say fully serendipitous things because I, I think a lot of time, and you guys, you all know this. Sometimes the, the right email on the right day means more than anything else that mm-hmm. you could do. And we, and, and, and this, and this whole experience really is an example of, you never know, like reach out to people, see what's up with people. They're not going to be annoyed with you. You know, maybe maybe a few of them will. At worst, they hit delete. Yeah. They hit delete. At worst, they don't yeah. respond. Mm-hmm. The, literally, the worst case scenario is someone is like, "I'm not going to respond to this email." Right. But the best case scenario is is what happened to us, hmm. which is we had done a we had written a movie uh, for Josh Gad actually yeah. uh, at Paramount called Heavy Duty, which I still think is a really funny script. <laughs> and the premise was. Uh, city slickers at weight loss camp. Oh yeah, totally could be Josh. Camp. Yeah, and sure. and the prim- the setup was Josh's two older brothers were basically Peyton and Eli, <laughs> and he was Josh. So <laughs> he was the black sheep, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, not in shape mm-hmm. guy. And his two brothers literally were Super Bowl MVP. God, okay. athletic God. So so he goes to you know. So anyway, it was a really funny script, and we were going to do it at Paramount with Mary Parent and Kale Boyder, who at that time had a had a deal, yeah. a producing deal at Paramount. It looked like this movie was going like castless, like it was getting ready to be greenlit. And then we got a call from Mary and Kel, and it was basically like, "Hey, we are taking over Legendary. Mm. We're leaving Paramount. All of our projects are done." Mm. And it was really at that time we had not, you know, we we'd never had a movie produced. We'd written some studio mm-hmm. movies, but this one really seemed like this is happening. And it really sucked, you know. It was really fucking hard because yeah. it, it, it. And I'm, no, I'm sure you all have experienced the same feeling of when you really think, you allow yourself to think something's going to happen, and then it doesn't. It just hurts like a little bit extra. Oh yeah. And we were bummed. And then about a year goes by, and in the interim, we had seen this announcement that these same people that we had just worked with were were doing Detective Pikachu. Mm. And I remember saying to Benji, "Oh, I wish we could have had a chance to to." To write that i think we could have done a really good job let me just say cause it's because we know when we see it it's already probably so uh, they've already been working well well six months yeah by the time yeah. it announcements are late yeah. Uh, yeah it's like anytime they're staffing it's like there's the show yeah. that got picked up and then you yeah. call your agent like oh they've been in the room has been going for two <laughs> exactly months. you know like exactly. that kind of that's all i meant so yeah so i, I assume oh <laughs> well, you know and but for whatever reason because Benji and I have a policy of trying to reach out to people that we haven't talked to in a while and mm-hmm. you know it's served us really well right. we emailed an exec named Allie at Legendary who's great and we said hey let, you know, let's get together let's have dinner we had dinner with her and she said by the way do you guys know anything about Pokemon? <laughs> and we said yeah, well yeah we're huge nerds of course <laughs> yeah, of course we do and truthfully, like you know, I would say like my knowledge of Pokemon is probably like like a like a seven out of ten as compared to like Star Trek or Star Wars, which right. is like probably like a ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. But you know, we knew it, we knew it, and so we said, yeah, we we do. She said, oh well, we're having a round table in. I think it was like three days later. Wow! And she said, would you guys want to come to this round table? We're having third act problems. <laughs> which okay so which means you have an act one problem which oh, means oh you have a no movie problem <laughs> so, so, yeah so, no movie problem is and, 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 and I think enough time has gone by that's okay too. but like and, and I'm not talking bad in any way but mm-hmm. like we get to this round table and there are a lot of bigger sort of screenwriter type people because mm-hmm. you know we were sort of newer and we and, and we had just written on one at a time right. 
And I had subsequently heard from people that, you know, they didn't really think of us for movies because we had written on one at a time. They sort of said, oh, well, they're like multi-cam, mm-hmm. like whatever. We went to this roundtable and, and it quickly became apparent that, you know, what we thought was going to be a completed script was never completed. And that the writers who had originally been announced as writing it, it just didn't, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't work out. Right. And with no expectation, and, and there really wasn't a script. And so with no expectation of anything other than trying to be helpful and trying to impress people and do a good job, we said, well, you know, if we were writing this movie, we'd do this. And we think the theme could be this. And we think this Pokemon would be... A really funny Pokemon to, to you know, if you, if anyone saw the movie, mm-hmm. Psyduck is my favorite Pokemon. And so I, I said at that roundtable, I said, I think Psyduck should be the comedic breakout Pokemon. Like, we pitched, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we pitched like, a lot of stuff. You had some specificity. Specificity. Mm-hmm. And we left. And I hadn't been out of the legendary building five minutes before we got a call that said, would you guys want to write this movie? Wow. Mm. Wow. And... It only happened because, you know, we had had this pre-existing relationship, mm-hmm. but we happened to send the right email mm-hmm. on the right day. Yep. And, and you know, it, it became super crazy. We only had three weeks to write the movie, which was <laughs> to break the story. And wow, one week to break the story, two weeks to write the movie. And okay. Thank God it's two of you. And thank, so I, at the time, was doing Pilates. I was, like, sort of getting in shape. And then it went from that to... Working 24-hour shifts. Mm. Like, I would write all night. I would go to sleep. I would have my 4 a.m. burrito before the burrito <laughs> truck burrito. before the burrito truck closed. <laughs> you know, actually, it was 3. I had to get it before 3 because mm. it closed at 3. Oh, like, wow. So, you know, and then Benji would wake up, see what I had done, and then we would just go, you know, back and forth. But that's how it came about. And that's, and that's a good example of, you just never know. Mm-hmm. Well, see, mm. two things. One, I love that story. Mm-hmm. It's so like the kind of things that, you know, it's weird because from the outsider, you hear certain stories that are like these, you know, these pie in the sky kind of dream factory stories. But when you're but when you're in it like you are and like we are, it's like you the stories that really make sense are, oh, did you email someone like like yeah. like, mm-hmm. like did you I'm like the first job that I got I pitched this. I pitched. There's a guy at a guy at Wendy Feynman's company. He read a script of mine, and then he was like, "We love it, but we're not doing anything with this right now." And then a year later, I bumped into him when I was on Venice Beach, just walking, and he was like, "Oh, oh my God, it's you guys! I love your script. You guys are great. Can can you come in and pitch on this thing?" By the way, I can't be there, to, you know, to champion you because I'm leaving the next yeah. day. And I was like, "What does that mean?" You know. But it was like a year later, and you just, you just, you meet people, and if you like comport yourself right, and they like what you do, and they also, you show that you're not. Cause I remember the first meeting with the guy. He had all these notes about these thoughts about the first script that he read, and he and my brother and I didn't. Um, try to defend what we did. Like we weren't that typical stereotype of the writer of like you don't know what I, you, you know. Just the, the writer who's defensive 
doesn't work a lot nope. because mm-hmm. it's like I don't want to work with I mean goddamn like you like be open to going another direction and that's what happened and it's yeah. and, and you just meet people you stay in touch it's all about it's all about who you know and stay in touch with them and not and then the nepotism people talks about is that nepotism or whatever it is so you know you get to cultivate that mm-hmm. and spend time making sure that people know you and they like you and that you're staying working whatever it is so they so if so you send the email have dinner, they're like, oh yeah, it'd be, look, if you take some of the dinner, have to, uh, uh, then, then they're going to have fun with you. And then they're going to know that, oh, working with you is going to be fun. And there's so much stress regardless. I, I, I need the actual work part to be fun. You know, so that's cool. It, it I have found that being able to, and, and we were talking about general meetings before. I love a general meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love a general meeting. That's there's your no time stakes. to shine. There's, yeah, no, there's stakes. no stakes. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. let's get to know each other. And sometimes it's like, all right, that didn't, you know, it was whatever. I, the, fa- the best part for me is figuring out what the common thing is going to be. Mm-hmm. What can I find that that person's also into? Like, I'm super heavy duty into tennis. I don't mm-hmm. know how many times I've talked to execs. They're like, oh, yeah, I love tennis. You know, or, you know, you just sort of find out. Or they're from, I'm from New York. Or they're mm-hmm. from you know new york they're from new jersey like you just sort of start i don't know it's like digging through the the weeds to sort of find like the little buried treasure if you will and i think that when you do that it 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 creates a relationship that isn't just hollywood bullshit right you can actually talk to someone as a human human being being and Mm -hmm. be like i'm into the same thing that you're into or or we have this common thing we have the same background background or like then when something like that's like if only we had a writer from New York who was in a tennis like a month ago shit that's perfect but it, but does, see, it does work like that yeah, I found what's helped me with assignments in particular I always try to ask the producer exec y'all got any it's like right at the end I save it I'm like what's y'all passion project you guys gonna do mm-hmm. and they're always like well if we could do this, and I'm mm-hmm. like, hmm, let me tell you the story about such and yeah. such and such and such. And I'm trying to tell them my connection to why that speaks to me. And I always go back to my childhood. And it's because I'm telling you, I got all these other stories that'll, that'll jump on that. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the more that you can sort of be yourself in these meetings and, and be strategic and be smart and, and sort of say like, oh, well, that's relevant to my lived experience. Like you're saying, you know, it's like, oh, well, I had this experience as a kid that yeah. it makes me, you know, someone that would be good to, to do this project or mm-hmm. work together. And, you know, I think, I think as, as much as you can take the artifice of Hollywood out of these interactions, I think people appreciate it. And, and, and just going back to what you said, it's like being, not being defensive is a real gift because then on the things that you do push back on, they also know like oh this is a person that generally is pretty amenable to change and is not precious <coughs> mm-hmm. but if they're pushing back mm-hmm. right now it means something it might yeah. actually mean something and mm-hmm. and i and i really you know it's like it's always a balancing act of okay you know like i'm going to do my earnest best to do these notes but every now and then it's like i'm not going to do this i think it's wrong and mm-hmm. and and I, you have a reason and you explain it and in my experience, if you're not defensive on the front end, you have a better response on the things that actually matter on the back end. Yeah, for sure. It's for like sure. if you're crying wolf all the time when it actually yeah. is like a fire, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, we don't give well, a shit. You're right, because a lot of times executives give notes that are just, they're kind of knee jerk. It's stuff that they haven't thought through. Well, someone has told them this. You, you know, know someone has told them what it is. And the thing is, you 
know the story in and out and the and the rationales to why you you chose something. And and if someone just says something knee jerk, it could just be like you didn't get it. For, and let's just, let's just say for instance, it's a scene that someone's like ah blah blah blah, and then you're like, well, you didn't get the scene. But then you might say maybe there's a line that I could just change one line in the scene and then the scene works. You go back to yourself and clarify it. But there's no need to f- to fight at that point when you talk with them because you don't necessarily know if what you did was absolutely perfect. You don't mm-hmm. know that. And just and so to me, when people tell me, like, for me the philosophy is if somebody bumps on something, I always say, okay, it's my job to make sure there are no bumps. So maybe I didn't do something exactly right. Whatever it is, because it's in your head so much, and the gap between what's in your head and what's in the paper is wide or short. And the better yours are wider, the shorter it gets. But there's always a gap, and it could. I guess it could be. I remember. I'm working on this horror film now, and it's like I had to just change three lines in this one scene to make them understand. I was like, Oh no, no, you guys didn't understand. They were like, What? 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 Do you? I was like. Okay, I just need to change three lines. And it was that yeah. simple, you know? And they're like, oh, now we see it, now we see it. Mm-hmm. So, but, but like, I didn't fight them on that. So, okay, just me look at it, you know? They feel, but there was one thing I was fighting about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to set, I, I said it in the past. I was like, I ain't said it today. Like, why not? I was like, I'm just not said it today. For, you know, but I gave them reasons. <laughs> but I gave them reasons why. I mean, the horror film, I didn't want to deal with cell phones and, and I just, the internet and all this kind of shit like right. this. Yeah. And I was like, that's the big thing that I will die on because it, the rest of it could fall apart if you said it now. Um, totally agree with that. And so then I was like, well, and there's also the whole thing of the balancing act of I got to do this note that maybe I don't necessarily like because I'm not going to do this one. You know, you, and you got to pick your battle. Yeah, to so do that negotiation. You know? And, you know, I'm always, I always find myself frustrated when an executive will give a bad note, but then you think of a like you end up making it better, yeah. not because mm-hmm. of their bad note, but it, just it makes you think differently. It makes you think, yeah, assess it. So, like, there is value mm-hmm. to the process. Correct. A lot of the times, it's it's like diagonal to whatever right. that person's note is, which maybe is like completely wrong. But but we as writers and and you know, pretty smart people, like, there's a lesson I think sometimes to be like, well, if I approach this material from a slightly different angle maybe I can make it better in some way that I didn't expect mm-hmm. in right. some way. So mm-hmm. I, I think that no, I mean, look, nobody loves getting notes, right? <laughs> but you can treat it as a, a an opportunity for you to kind of go back into your brain and say, is there some other way that I haven't thought of that maybe is hiding underneath this mm. dirt that we can that yeah. we can find and that we can actually yeah. say, oh, you know what? It's good that we took a minute to just put this through the processor again. And then sometimes you're like, no, it's right the way it is. And but I think being open to that, transmuting it into something else, as long as it still feels true to what you're doing. Um, I, I've also had that experience of frustration where you know you'll start something. And then another writer will come along later in the process and change mm. something. Mm. And you go, gosh, I wish they had just called me mm-hmm. and asked mm. me why we did it this way in the first place. I could have saved you. Because that's how we lose some cultural nuance in some of the oh, stuff, too. Oh, yes. Well, okay. there's is, that. But, but I know what you're saying. Is I think the, 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 this, the thing about writing features that is tricky is that subsequent writers 
for whatever reason they don't want to call the previous writer. It's a, it should be. There should be protocol. It's, it's, Anytime it, I get anything, I call somebody. I let them know what's going on. Even if I can't get through them through the producer, I'm like, I'm going to find them. I'm going to let them know. Yeah, because you, cause you pull on the wrong Jenga cube yes. and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Yeah. yeah. That's, ex- that's exactly my experience. And then sometimes, you know, you'll see the finished product and you'll be like, just Had you left that yeah. one Jenga cube yes. in there? Or you know, you'll read a review of something and you'll be like, mm. you know what? This reviewer is right. And there. we actually yeah. had yeah. addressed this and it got, at some mm. point in the process, it's it got you know, let, taken out. For let, me, let me back up and just ask you a quick question about something. Um, a couple of different credits I want to talk about. Of course, sure. we, how, did, how did Koala Man come to you? One thing. <laughs> and on a sidebar, what's up with Gilligan's Island? Huck. There's a Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Well, that was the first big. So, so I'll, I'll answer the Gilligan's Island question first, which okay. is uh, Skipper. That's another role you could play. I could, I could be the Skipper. Oh yeah, you could be the Skipper. Was his name Alan Hale? Was that his name? Uh-huh. <laughs> Alan Hale. Yeah. Um, so Gilligan's Island came to us. Uh, similarly, Josh had been approached by the by the. I think his agency, and this is this is a long, this is ten, almost ten years ago now. Okay. Um, and he had said to to us, "Hey, uh, they they approached me about Gilligan's Island. I, I don't. What do you think about this, Dan and Benji?" And mm-hmm. we said, "Actually, we love Gilligan's Island. We grew up watching it. It love was it. like an after school mm-hmm. mm-hmm. staple." <clears throat> and we said, "We we think we could do something really." really cool with this we could update it there's all these different ways to do it you know like you could really cast those parts up every yeah. they're iconic i know. mean fire festival literally was gilgan's yeah we oh, just yeah. Felt <laughs> no, like... i mean that mess that went down there with all these people <laughs> spending a <laughs> bunch of money what, that's actually funny spending, that would actually be spending a, good, a bunch of money to yeah. go to like a, a, a like a luxury island retreat <laughs> and you get down there and there's in. fucking cheese sandwiches <laughs> That's actually a good angle for a, a Gilligan's Island. You should maybe pitch that, but <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, so we we, we we worked on this pitch, and, and our initial pitch was very. Uh, the short answer is I don't think a Gilligan's Island movie okay. will be made anytime soon. But we worked on the pitch, and we thought it was really good, and we went in, and we and we pitched it, and the executive was like, "This is real, you guys. Are, uh, this is a real story," hmm. and he was like, "I love it." I have two small notes. <laughs> One. <laughs> Do we need the character of Gilligan? What? He's like, he's this bumbling guy. It's old fashioned. What? He's like, what, what? Like, it's just like not going to play. Like, what if he's like a good sailor? Wow. What if he's just like good at his job? What if he's like, a, like an amazing sailor? And we're like, okay. And he goes, <laughs> he goes and the second note. Do we need the island? Lord, Lord. He was like, you're stuck on this island. Shouldn't they be in New York? He said, said, you're going to get island fatigue. Wow. You're going to get island fatigue. The lost island fatigue? This is for a movie or a TV show? For a movie. Wow. He said, we don't want to get to the island until the end of the second act. Wow. (laughs) Which, as you guys know, is like the end of the movie. Wow. And we were like, what? (laughs) So He didn't understand the... Do he understand the property? I, I understand mean, the I, I think IP? I think the reality is is like a lot of people have attempted to make a Gilligan's Island movie okay. for like many many years, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, <clears throat> they keep running into these hurdles. 
and and I don't know what the hurdles are, mm. and I'm not trying to like talk about it, you know, like but and it could be it's it's one of these things that's of its time, you know, it, like, yeah, people I mean, shipwrecking an island like pull out your fucking phone, you know, <laughs> now you can't do that. Here's, like, here's, here's the thing though, I think what you're saying, I'm hearing what the exact the, whatever the, the, the notes are, the exact, it reminds me of the Land of the Lost movie, yeah, and I was like. You guys did this all wrong. Like the way, like whoever the version that they went in at was like, let's not do anything that the show really did or what it was about or whatever. Anything. It was just come up with something different. I mean, we're gonna do a little bit of it is, but it was like that was such a bad version of what that property could have been, you know. So I, I have a sort of a, a little spiel on this, which is, I think sometimes there is a tendency in. Hollywood executive ranks to think that the reason that something that the problem with a property is the property itself, like the inherent <laughs> quality of mm-hmm. what yeah. it is. And so, yeah, so yeah. 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 yeah, and I think that's exactly what you're talking uh-huh. about with Land uh-huh. of Lost, which is like, well, obviously we're not going to do it the way that people liked. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, and I think the second that you start thinking in those terms, you're dead. Right. Because and by the way, we came up with a take that did exactly what they asked, and I actually think it was pretty good. Mm. But ultimately, they didn't make it, and the reason I think is because at a certain level, it's like it's Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. It's about a bumbling guy mm-hmm. trapped on an island. Well, it's also about the relationships of those was it, seven those, people. Those people, yeah, and, 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 they, and they each had a different sort of um, personality, very distinct personality. I still think a Gilligan's Island movie could be successful. I still think that some version of it could could work because I think it's exactly what you just said. It's they're they're archetypical, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's like the the ditzy actress, the smart guy, the girl next door, mm-hmm. the bumbling guy, the gruff captain, the you know, like professor. the rich guy mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. mean wife, you know, mm-hmm. his like mm-hmm. spoiled mm-hmm. wife. You know, like all of those things are funny and like work. They're all perfect archetypes. They and all are perfect and archetypes. still exist today. Still exist exactly. today, <laughs> and I and so I Mr. think Mr. Howell. Yep. Tina His Louise. Wife. Yeah. I forget yeah. all the people. Ginger. Yeah. Ginger. Professor. Yeah. So, and I think that. What I have also found this occasionally in genre uh, film when I when you know sometimes people are skeptical if you know something too well hmm. or if you're too much of a fan of the thing that you're pitching on. I don't know if you have all experienced this, mm-hmm. but it's almost like that expertise is almost disqualifying in some type in some mm. cases because it's like oh well they're too close they're just like a nerd they're gonna make it like it isn't mm-hmm. and i think sometimes it doesn't it really does a disservice to the benefits of expertise which is knowing sort of like mm-hmm. like what well, you guys did star trek which is like what is it that makes us that makes wharf wharf yeah. and how can we complicate mm-hmm. that in an interesting mm-hmm. new way over the course of time and you guys settle on something that made complete sense mm-hmm. It was like he already had all this, you know, warrior philosophies, but what he found was mindfulness. But, of course, complicated by the fact that he still is a Klingon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's brilliant. It makes complete sense. And only people that really had thought and explored and, like, grown up on these characters, I think, could have arrived at something that felt so right and so organic but very different. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. I remember when we were talking about that in the room, and I kept saying, I said to Terry one day, I said, I said, what if he's... Um, Ito Ogami from mm-hmm. Lone Wolf and Cub, mm-hmm. but without one of my very favorite, yeah, but but but, 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 but without the kid, you know. And uh, Terry was like, 
why are you referencing? I mean, like the referencing we would come up with the stuff would like be so kind of crazy, but it was stuff that would that would give us opportunities to play around with, you know. I mean, I think you just to me is what you're saying is, and I get this all the time is that the executives because it's not their world, they discount and discredit the deep passion that that the writers get into, creators get into about something. Yes. Yep. You know, and it's like, oh my and and cuz you find all these I'm not saying you have to be like thought police on something the way certain fans could be. Yes. But you got to love it in enough to be able and be able to say this is why we can do this this way and we can add these things from all sorts of different genres or whatever it is because I mean, look, when you look at Klingons are they like samurais? Potentially, you know, they yep. have the bushido code and all that kind of shit. And it was just kind honor. of yeah, honor, yeah, honor, like all the code, thing. all the yeah. stuff. So it was very, it was it, so it just came to. It just, I remember we were just talking about that, and I was like, and and Terry, I knew was a big fan of Akira, so mm-hmm. I, so I hoped he was a fan of Lone from Cub. So when I threw it out like that, he he gave me this look like, who the hell would come up with that? But it was one of those things where I feel like you have to know. You know the the. It was lucky for us too because when we were breaking season three, we were in that switch between all access and Paramount, mm-hmm. and there wasn't an exa- a, a head of Paramount yet mm-hmm. to be, to be able to like you know to kill ideas early right. on. So we could develop a lot kind of in a vacuum, you know, and it yeah. allowed us to to just to feed in all the tendencies that we had. You know, it was exciting. I feel you on that part about sometimes they don't want people with so much expertise about a certain thing. Um, Because my previous career, I was a pilot in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. No one ever wants me around for their aviation stuff. Like Top Gun Maverick, no one asked me anything about that that's movie. So uh, I, that's so wild mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm, I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Or military it. stuff in general. Like they just because they want to do it the way they want to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't want you kind of slowing down the process. Some of them, I'm not saying all, for you know, um, and it's also a problem culturally too, because they don't want the one black writer because mm-hmm. you're going to stop them from doing the thing that they just have in their head that they want to do and you're gonna, and they fear you're going to push back or try and steer them away from it. And they don't want that. And I'm sure that you have all experienced what I've experienced a bit, which is when you are the only Latino or the only black person in a room, then suddenly you're like, or any, per, you know, any whatever diversity you are, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden it's like, well, I have to now represent everyone. Everybody. Everybody across yeah. the board. And now I have to be that scold or that person that's the like, scold. That's you know, the perfect like, word. That's a good word. Hey guys, you know <laughs> maybe Actually we, Maybe we don't <laughs> make the only Latino character, you know, a drug know, dealer. Like a gang member mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. hey guys, you know, and, and that and people it's hard to stop the train when it's moving mm. to do that, but then it, you know, so it is a push pull, especially as you, when you're at the beginning of your career and you mm-hmm. maybe are that youngest person in the room or one of the least experienced people to say like, well, everything is pulling in one direction, other than the fact that what they're doing is offensive or or mm-hmm. or could be taken in the wrong way or is sort of a, not a real depiction of of something that you might have more. Mm-hmm authority to, to comment upon it so then you have to decide like okay well am I going to be the person that's like wait a minute we can't we can't do this guys and mm-hmm. and I've been that person before and I'm sure you have too and, and, and it doesn't feel great it doesn't feel amazing mm-hmm. but you also feel like 
I'm slowing the trains down. But you're all, yeah. yeah, it's like, I don't want to, like, fuck everything up. But at the same time, like, there is some part of you that's, like, I feel sort of, like, duty-bound to mm-hmm. say something. Should, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, you have to pick your battles, as we all yes, know. Yes, yes. But I, I think it is, it is also our duty, when you feel it and you know it's going to cause something, I think you should at least say it. Now, whether they use it or not mm-hmm. is one other thing. Yeah. But you, just, you, should, you should at least state, you know, the fact of whatever the issue is and say, hey, guys. I love this. I think this is amazing. I am concerned yep. about this. Mm-hmm. And what if, like, my thing is, like, I don't have a big issue with, you know, oh, they're a homeboy or a gang member or whatever. I'm like, let's just make him layered. Right. Let's just give him some moments, too, where he's not always evil and mean or what, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just want to find some something to make him more like my homeboys I know who still would have your back. And go kill somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, a classic, classic example is what we talked about with Spielberg's West Side Story. Right. About how he gave, you know, um, uh, the Jets guys, like, a lot more depth. He gave them all the depth they that, were they, all that they didn't have yeah. in the original film, the original yeah. book. And it's Tony like, oh, out of jail. Tony, I was yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 all this Bernardo's stuff. a boxer. It, yeah, like, yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, but, but, it's, it, but and it's, the thing is, look, you know, like you said, if it's all going one way, and if you kind of pull on it, then you're gonna like take all the coal out. But it's like, hey, let's put on these other tracks, you know that that will that will you know that will lessen that, you know. I mean, the you know the few times that we had, I mean, look, I was lucky enough on the two shows I've been on where there ha- that it hasn't been that kind of thing. But I do know that on Equalizer we talked about a few things and and things that I would kind of bristle on. I would talk to them about. Outside of the room, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't when we're trying to move. It was like, okay, here's a time where I can just bring up something. Or you, you run into them in the break room or by the water cooler cool. and say, hey, can mm-hmm. we think about this and blah, blah, blah. So it's not in that moment of your, you know, you know that you're that there's a flag on the play and you're yep. like, hey, I don't mean to throw the red flag, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but so but yeah, but it's it's hard. It's hard. Which is why I, physical rooms <clears throat> are better because you have this opportunity to sort of kind of run exactly. on Zoom and stuff. It's kind of like. Now I got to pick up the phone mm-hmm. and call them. Now it's going to be a thing. Now I got to find a time to call them. Whereas it could organically happen like on your lunch, you know, everyone breaks for lunch, mm-hmm. you know, room breaks, whatever, for an hour. And you sort of see this person, you know, by the water cooler, like, ah, I don't know. I just put this in here. Just put this in here. And you can do it in a less, it's less threatening that way. And you don't know what you don't know also, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that, I think sometimes, especially Twitter, you know, the internet tends to give no one the benefit of the doubt ever nope. for any reason. And it's getting nasty and out it, there. And, it, and it's not, you know, and so like, you know, even on, on <clears throat> I, I tend to think people really do want to do their best if they're sort of conscientious people, but there are things that supply you or things that are outside mm-hmm. of your reference. Even when we're doing Koala Man, you know, we had um, a gay, you know we have a gay character, and I'm not gay, and I and and or I'm not lesbian certainly, and so <laughs> so there were things like how how did it come to you? How did it come to you? So it came to us because we had been working with Twentieth uh, Animation, right. and um, we had worked on a show called Central Park with Lauren Bouchard and a, you know a bunch of great people, Sanjay Shah and, and Halstead Sullivan and. And Josh was at on that week. With Josh, we always kind of have one project with Josh, just because we're like super tight. But I love it. Um, but that one, we were doing that. We were doing a, a a different pilot that didn't end up going, unfortunately. And 
20th asked us to meet with a young up-and-coming animator named Michael Kisak, who had just done the Rick and Morty Bush World Adventures, which was sort of an April Fool's prank on the Rick and Morty people. They said there was going to be a new Rick and Morty episode, and then it was this crazy Australian version of Rick and Morty done by Michael, who's a brilliant voice actor and animator, and he's -hmm. he's unbelievable. Um, And we just really got along with Michael, and we really hit it off, and... We developed this show together. Um, you know, he created this character because it was a pre- you know, character he had created back in Australia, and, and we sort of shepherded it to, okay, well, how would you expand these? Because those shorts were about two minutes, right. you know, three minutes. You know, I said, okay, well, how would you expand this character into a more, to a longer format and sort of in an American style, but still keeping the Australianisms, and that and that was how mm-hmm. we, um, how that came about. Um, Unfortunately, I think a lot of people didn't get a chance to see the show. You know, it kind of just it came out the week after New Year, and it just kind of like <clears throat> I, I I I wish things could have been different for a lot of reasons, sure. and and not just for me, for other people as well. Who you know, but when I thought it was really cool, and you guys fucking Hugh Jackman. I mean, come he was on. amazing. I mean, the, the show is good, you know, yeah. and the reviews were great, and and I'm so proud of it, and I'm so proud of how it turned out. And yeah. and the best part is, I think if you start from the first episode and go all the way through the, the eighth episode, mm-hmm. there's a real journey that you go on. Like, it actually was, we kind of did, you know, what you and Terry did, which and, and the rest of the, of the room, which was, we really started from who are these characters? What have they experienced? What have they, you know, like, and I know it's an adult animated show, so it was like, you know, maybe a little, need to be a little less rigorous than something like, like Star Trek, but we sort of approached it in the same way. And I, I really feel like by the end of the eighth season, you're like, did I accidentally watch like an epic superhero <laughs> show <laughs> right. that I thought was going to be just like a stupid, mm-hmm. you know, joke delivery system, which, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's plenty of dumb jokes, but. I'm I'm very proud of the story of Koala Man, and I'm I'm proud of the show. So that that's how that came about. Okay, that was good. Um, before we let you go, uh, just because of the climate we're in, we just want to get your pers- We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks about the strike and stuff. Sure. Want to get your perspective from what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're thinking. Um, what are some of the things you think we could be doing, et cetera, et cetera? You know, just your thoughts. Well, I should preface it by saying that. Every prediction that I made about the strike was completely wrong. So Uh-oh. I, I well, let's talk there. What do you mean? What are you I, talking about? I thought, you know, I'm a WGA captain, right? And I have been for about ten years, over ten years yeah. now. And I thought that the silence from both sides was a good thing. So did I. Mm. I th- yeah, you did say that. I yeah. thought that the mm. fact that we weren't getting a minute-by-minute breakdown of what was happening in the room as we have had in previous negotiations. Right. Yeah, so usually there's all kinds of leaks and shit. All kinds of leaks, yeah. all kinds of shit-talking, all yeah. kinds of fighting in, in the, the press, press yeah. on deadline. And I thought to myself, actually, this is good. Mm-hmm. It means that there are, like, and they were scheduling extra sessions mm-hmm. and they were, you know, like, and... I thought this silence is good. It means they're being serious about these negotiations, and and I, you know, I sort of reported back to my team, which is all like much more famous. They, uh, you normally you do when you're a captain. It's like okay, I'm on Qualman, so I'm, I'll do the Qualman writers, right. or I'm on one at a time. I'll do one. Of the, 
because I'm now a showrunner, they asked me to take on a team of other showrunners. And mm. almost every single person on this list that they assigned me mm-hmm. is, like, much more famous. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, high-level right. people that I'm like, I can't believe I'm emailing. Something. You know, <laughs> sure. like, that kind of thing. So I'm, like, <laughs> in retrospect, I'm, like, reporting completely wrong information to them. <laughs> like, like, I'm actually feeling pretty good, guys. You know, <laughs> feeling really optimistic. So anyway, I was wrong about everything. I And then once the the list of sort of... The proposals, that, the, the, proposals. the proposals and the things that they were engaging on and the things that they refused to engage on came out. I was like, oh. That's why it that's was That's why it was so silent. It's because there was no negotiation yeah. in yeah. essence. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know that there was certain things that, that they they were able to agree upon, mm-hmm. but but the major substantive things, they just were like, we're not going to talk about that. And we're not so, going to give you a counter proposal. We're not even going to counter We're not even going to yeah. condescend to acknowledge your right. opening proposal. Right. It has so much... I don't even know what the word is. We're not uh, even going to accept the note at all. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's what it is. I don't remember it in 2007 being that blatant. Like they're like it wasn't like that in seven, ten, thirteen, yeah. seventeen, yeah. And, and and in twenty, se- and in seventeen, it really did go down to the wire. Yeah. So I thought to myself, probably what's going to happen is it's going to be the last 48 hours. They're going to get serious, mm-hmm. and then in that last you know day or so. Right. We'll find some common ground, and and because in my mind, I I think naively I thought, oh, these aren't really fully existential issues in the way that that something like we need dominion over the internet is, or our health and pension fan is running out of money. You know, that seemed Mm -hmm. to me like those are very like understandable, digestible. Like, okay, looking back on it now, I realize that these are existential Mm -hmm. issues because Mm -hmm. of their absolute unwillingness to even engage with them. And having now gone to some of these captain meetings at the WGA and talked to some of the leadership, it seems clear that they want to undermine and potentially destroy the idea of a writer's room being a, just a natural part of creating a show. Yep. As we have seen with our unfortunate friends in tag. And I do, you know, and I, and I write, I, I, you know, I, I work for Tag too, and mm-hmm. on you know on animated like Adam's Family and and Ninja Turtles and you know the, these movies mm-hmm. that I, so it's it's not like I'm like pro one or the other, mm-hmm. but I but I think that we can objectively look at the way that Tag rooms are treated, and room is probably not even the right word. The way mm-hmm. that Tag writers are are lucky to have a writer's room. In fact, mm-hmm. which is what the woman said, the Lombardi mm-hmm. woman said, mm-hmm. or Lombardini and, and, and woman. And exactly what Carol Lombardi mm-hmm. said is that writers are lucky to have term employment. And so mm-hmm. once I started to have a fuller understanding of that it was, in fact, an existential negotiation, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. now understand why our negotiating committee correctly took the stance that they did, which is a unanimous vote for a strike. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think this goes hand in hand with the AI. Mm-hmm. I think it goes hand in hand with the span protection. I think it goes hand in hand with writers staying on through production. They, in their minds, feel that all of these things are not necessary. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, know that they are. I could tell you from my own experience, I was having a nervous breakdown at mm-hmm. a certain point. Yeah, see. Because I had no, no. help. And I would have came to help. You know. Thank you. I, next time. <laughs> well, <laughs> call it, brother. Call interrupt. It. You know, the, the thing is, is that I say this all the time. People who reach those high executive levels don't know what is happening on the line of, of anything. 
Doesn't matter if you're fucking Elon Musk at Tesla. You don't know what's going on on the line. Like, you don't know what issues there are. You know, um, I think that the the tech takeover mm-hmm. is very much like like why this goes down. I know there was this talk in Billy Ray was staying in 2017 when you know the when Amazon and Apple and Netflix didn't have the same amount of you know market power. Mm-hmm. It, when it got down to the wire, the it was the negotiators left and like and Bob Iger and a couple yeah. people came by and just kind of like figured it out. Like that last minute, that's not going to happen now. You know, like you know, like Tim Cook is not going to sit in someone's like living room. <laughs> you know, and and Sarandos is not because what's his name is quit. Well, not quit, but whatever. He's kind of stepped back. Like mm-hmm. Reed Hastings, they're not going to make that thing. And those guys don't know what it does. Like like, there's always a black box. Like how a writer's room works is a black box and it's a different black box for every show because mm-hmm. every show has its own kind of design of like how the like how the showrunner has figured out to write yeah. it mm-hmm. and that I think is like is you that can't be put into an algorithm so they can't solve it and I think when they can't solve something like that they'd rather go then let's not have it well, and, yeah and and, and the, that's the problem they're trying to apply one template to to every show, mm-hmm. so you had you have a few shows like the Mike Whites of the world, like the mm-hmm. Craig Mazins, who they've written all the episodes and they didn't have a writers' room, so they're thinking, oh, well, that guy did it without a room, so the rest of you guys all should be able to do it without a room, mm-hmm. especially like oh, animation, what do you need a room for? And then they have they've never they haven't had a room ever. They're not even you know they're like a separate thing, but now it's starting to come over into all the scripted shows. Oh, you only need a few writers, like. One person, Craig Mason's doing it all. Why can't you guys do it all? Yep. Mike White's doing it all. Why can't you do it all? Oh, we just need one writer and maybe a little bit of AI, and then we've got a show. That's where we're headed. So, I and I think that the guild has correctly assessed that that is where they're headed. And and you know, even in the few months leading up to the negotiation, I had one person on my team who's a very smart guy <laughs> who was like, AI is a big deal. And I, I think even at the beginning, I think there, I don't. I remember that. In those early meetings, they were like, AI got brought up. And yeah. I remember, you know, some of our leadership going, well, you know. And now it's become hot because yeah. now we see what, what the other side is thinking and where they're planning to take us. And how exponentially things mm-hmm. happen. Happen. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have explored, like, at all. I mean, my Benji and I are obsessed with like the AI YouTube songs where it's like Kanye West singing Shake yeah. It Off, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it sounds mm. like Kanye singing. Yeah, there's a uh, there's one with um, Jay-Z doing something. It's like it sounds mm. just, it sounds mm. like, just it. like yes. it. And so that didn't exist two months ago. And that should that should worry voice actors. Yeah. That should worry um, live action actors. That should worry production designers. That should worry everyone in this business. Yeah. Benji showed me a TikTok of some editors putting an the, the raw footage. I think it was basically like some unedited footage through the AI, and the AI made the cuts for okay the editors. So. Yeah. All of in these seconds, in probably. seconds, in so all of these things have already mm. like accelerated mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. faster than we thought that they mm-hmm. were going to accelerate. So I think that where we stand is like we are absolutely in the right mm-hmm. to be doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I think that so much of where we're headed, it will depend on the DGA, and I think you know what, like how their negotiating goes, and and I think that we're all hopeful 
but you know, trust but verify. You know, I think that we're all hopeful that like maybe they would be willing to go on strike. From what uh, I'm hearing, they're with us, and 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 maybe that will prove to mm-hmm. be the case, and and that would be great. Now, I think that we've you know been Charlie Brown in the in the yeah. past. Before, yeah, you know, like I so, think that's why we're so like. Uh, do so we, I yeah. think, you know, I don't think we can we can't depend on other people to fight our fights. Ultimately, yeah. we have to just like hang in there. I've been at you know I've been at Radford. I've been. Stopping trucks. I've been doing, mm-hmm. you know, things. And I, and I think that the other thing that I'm encouraging people to say is I think we need to pace ourselves. You know? 100%. I think that, That's what you were just saying the other day. Well, I, I just think that I do think it's going to be a long, hot summer. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Especially in the Valley. Especially in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And I think that you we need to, as a group, support each other and be understanding of each other and also allow people to live... Their lives allow you know if you need a if you have a doctor's appointment if you have things like yeah. you need to be able to like take care of yourself as a human in order to sustain what I think is going to be a pretty protracted fight because now that we see how dug in they are on some of these issues like at first I was very skeptical of minimum staffing right. minimum staffing that's one of the biggest things like, I'm for I was like what well I've completely <clears throat> turned around mm-hmm. on this now that I understand it mm-hmm. a little bit better and the main thing. That, that was expressed to me that I'm not trying to express to other people is there is nothing, literally no language in our MBA that codifies a writer's room mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. At all. Interesting. Nothing. I didn't know that. Writer's room is just a thing that we have created, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that says we have to have it. Well, yeah, because... And that's why, you know, and that's what, they're, that's what they pinpoint on. That's what they're trying, well, to, get rid you know, that's because trying to get rid of. It. We were talking about this the other day, or I guess I was in a Zoom or something like that with some friends. It's that, you know, the writer's room came about in the early 80s because like, if you look at shows like Rock for Files and stuff like that they didn't have writers room they kind of just assigned people to write right. stuff freelance people freelance were coming off the street, street like well, I've got an well, idea yeah, and they, uh, no yeah. I mean the showrunner knew it and he got people mm-hmm. you can hire whatever people who, who were vetted by NBC or whatever the fuck it is because they weren't serialized yeah they weren't serialized but also even if it wasn't serialized or not like even if like a Miser the Equalizer now one person couldn't do an episode. There's like it's the, the 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 sophistication of the audience requires a lot of people to pull coals and things. Yep. You know that you know because if you go back and watch a show, the Rocker Files, which I still love, I love watching mm-hmm. the show and stuff like that. But you look at it and you're like, you've got some of these scenes that run five minutes that could be two minutes because Absolutely. they're just mm-hmm. they're just talking. They're just banter. You know, sure. and it's cool because mm-hmm. it's cool banter. But you know, today the audience doesn't mm-hmm. like like play with that pace. Yeah. So you kind of need, you know, like and again, executives don't know this, and maybe and maybe executives know this. But the people in the C-suites at the media companies don't know this the, because they're the not... The tech guys yeah, at the, the top. Tech guys. And I, I have found that you know the creative executives, by and large, are are with us, yeah. quite honestly. Because yeah. they're getting squeezed yeah. in their own way. Oh, they got too yeah. much shit to read. A lot of them are former writers, too, is, which is a, one thing. A lot of them are... But like they're getting laid hard. off. They're yeah. getting less pay. They're getting sure. treated like they're expendable. Like, what, do you, how, what, what, what purpose do you serve right. in this process? I'm going to replace you with AI to right. freaking scan the scripts? I was just uh, thinking... So we did an episode a couple months ago about um, um, The Last of Us. Oh, God. <laughs> just want to say this. We got, you know, another Latin, oh, Latinx uh, writer mm-hmm. on the show. <laughs> Linnell brought up a really interesting point. Now, we are fans of the show. Let's be yeah, clear. Lo- the Love show the show. Mm-hmm. Love the show. What's missing is some of the 
cultural cultural nuance. nuance. Mm-hmm. Do you mind just telling me just a little bit of what you picked? I was I thought it was brilliant. I was bothered, and I've said this on Twitter. And again, I, the yeah. show is fantastic. We love but the show. You have you you've done some inst- you made some inst- you made some casting choices that were different from the video game. Right. Great, do do whatever you want. I don't care. But when you present me with a Latino Texan, and he's eating his breakfast, served by his black daughter, and I don't see certain condiments on the table, mm-hmm. and I don't see him putting certain condiments on the table. I'm sitting there like, what, why is he eating this bland food like this, like mm-hmm. a white person? Yep. Mm-hmm. His name is Joel Miller. I'm like, okay. Um, but he's Pedro Pascal. He's and, supposed to be Latino. And he's got a, Lat- he's and he's got got a, a Latino brother. Yeah, he's, he's got a Latino, Latino brother, brother who he never says a word of Spanish to never. the entire series. Nothing. And I'm kind of like... And he's got, I mean, the thing is, is that his wife was black because his daughter's half black yep. and there's and there's no and she doesn't have that no hot sauce of, and I mean yeah. I need to see something I need no something grits. on that table <laughs> you know paste picante sauce was, was big in something. with Texas yeah. you know Texas people so, and all the moves yeah. that she makes no little black girl gonna do some super shit like that like there was just <laughs> going so much, outside when the police no, and the helicopters no, and the chaos is happening and no. you're a little black girl and, you, and it's like no no I know to stay the fucking doors exactly but you mm-hmm. need it to happen for the plot I understand but yep. also so, 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 so that's the whole thing. Where it's like, so, if the plot is dictating you gotta get out, then you gotta find a reason that's plausible for a black person or a Latino person or whatever right. it is yep. to get outside. Yep. Because otherwise, it's like you're just not you're not you're not that curious. We, we have street, not we have street smart. Yeah, we don't think curious. normally like that. You know what I mean? It's just inbred yeah. in us. You know, I and I think that the again, it's like if there had been someone in the writer's room that maybe could have pointed some of those things out. And again, exactly. the show is amazing. I, oh, we I, love and the I, show. And, mm-hmm. and, yes. and Craig is brilliant. But, you know... And I, Neil Druckmann, too. And, and Neil Druckmann, unbelievable. And, and, and the game is unbelievable. But we all have our blind spots, I think. And, you know, and I think one of the arguments that the Guild has made, which, which <laughs> has started to resonate with me, is... I think they said this. I don't want to get it wrong, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure what they said is that of the 500 showrunners, mm-hmm. 10 of them wrote every single episode. Mm-hmm. Of, okay, of, that's not bad odds. So when you look at it from that perspective, you're sort of saying, are you asking those 10 people to make a some sort of creative compromise? Like maybe by you know by bringing on staff or. But the vast majority of people mm-hmm. are being benefited by this, mm-hmm. and jobs are being, you know, codified. Mm-hmm. The writers' room is being put into the NBA, right. and so I, I think that. And uh, along the lines of what you just said about, you know, sort of that, the reality of a lived experience mm-hmm. that a person of color might have had that that others didn't have. Maybe it makes the show better because you you hired someone that you yeah. maybe wouldn't have hired that could give those kind of mm-hmm. that kind of feedback here's the thing it's not it's it's not a question of maybe it makes the show better they've done studies they know the shows are better they know the shows that have that, that have a diverse They're more relatable to d- all of us the shows that have a diverse cast that also have a diverse audience they have higher ratings they've they, they knew that way mm-hmm. going back to when um walk when walking dead first came out because mm-hmm. that is so they they know that i mean look uh, I haven't seen like more than an episode and a half of like White Lotus, right? So, so I watched it, and I've been I watched part of the other the the other of it at this symphony thing about scores the other day, and I look at it, I'm like, this is just ten plays, 
kind of put together. You know, mm. there's not a lot. It's just, it's just everyone talking. It's just, yeah. it, 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 it's, the stakes are what you would see on a stage play, essentially. I get why that could be written by Mike White. You know, it, need, it needs his voice. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it, it needs one person to do that. Maybe he's got people who talk to, blah, 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 something like that. A show like my show, a show like some of the, some of the, some, some some of the shows that we love, mm-hmm. you, I, I would be loath to hear one person do it. I don't think the thing that I realize is a lot of people don't have the skill set to handle every aspect of what you're writing. You know who does the action? Who does the comedy that is that's mm-hmm, in the drama? Mm-hmm, you know, because you can do mm-hmm. comedy, but you got to make it fit in the drama, right. or it feels like it's out of place. You know, who knows how to do the pacing right? You know, who understands to do? Who's the, the research the, guy the, that the finds the some random guy. connection? Like, there's all these things that it's like. To, uh, sure, maybe maybe I could do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on a schedule to do that. I want to be. A, you want to do? That? Yeah. I want no schedule. I'm a like. You know what? I'll deliver the ten when I want to deliver the ten. And I'm getting paid every week anyway. Mm. I don't care. What the, there's no delivery date, because because I'll do it. But but I don't want a, uh, like a nervous breakdown of like I gotta have this in ten weeks right. because that would kill me. Here's the other thing. Um, I highly recommend everyone listen to Deadline Strike Talk. With oh, yeah. Billy Ray is in, is hosting it along Todd, with, Todd, with Todd? Todd Garner. Todd Garner, yeah. Todd Garner. But then this week they had John Wells. They did. On. It was so good. And one of the things that struck me. Um, was John Wells talked about like yeah back on the West Wing Aaron mm-hmm. Sorkin's name was on the majority of those scripts but we still had a room yep. so if you have these people that like the Mike Whites of the world or whoever that want to put the, you know or even Mad Men was a similar situation mm-hmm. they want to have you know it's like I want I'm rewriting I'm doing I'm changing all this stuff fine you want you're getting the credit you put the name on but you still had a room to help you come up with these ideas do the research figure out what all these random jobs were maybe have someone that knows something about the military so you don't fucking have people saying ridiculous things (laughs) I'm looking at you uh, Superman and Lois when you had (laughs) Superman calling a general lieutenant it was wild I was just like oh god y'all just stuff like that you know that's what you need a room for so So I I think that you know kind of where we're at in the strike is I think we got to hang in there yeah. for now. And I, I think that, you know, I think it will be, there'll be more clarity after the DGA does their negotiation. I think yeah. there will be more clarity perhaps after enough time goes by that, you know, do they want to force majeure some contracts off the books? Do they want to get rid of some shows that they, you know, uh, have are too expensive, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. I, I think that there, there's definitely going to be a reckoning you know that that is um psychologically difficult you know like my overall got suspended and that Mm. wasn't like an amazing call to get you know after working so hard to to get to that place Mm -hmm. in my career to to you know to have you know be doing what i really want to be doing but on the other hand and i think this kind of comes back to the beginning of our conversation it was like okay well liberation then i guess I don't have to worry about any of that mm. for for the duration of this strike because I'm on the line. I'm I'm tra- I'm a traffic guard. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm marching in a circle. Yeah. I'm chanting. We're playing some music, and that's what I'm going to do. And I think that I think sort of embracing that sort of like uncertainty and that and that sort of like the the being pre- you know Tom Morello who you know who's a friend of mine, but like he came down to Radford uh, last week and played like a little impromptu concert oh yeah i saw that i saw your photo and yeah, that was cute it was cool mm-hmm. you know it was cool it was a reminder that there is a 
continuity, historical continuity with other labor movements. And even though mm-hmm. what we, so, I think, sometimes people say, well, you know, you're, you're, you're privileged writers or you're rich writers, but it's like, you know, we're making something. We're making it in a different mm-hmm. way than someone that's like, you know, building a car or something, right. but we are making something. I'm not, I would never compare those two experiences, you know, in like a physical sense, of course, yeah. but, but we are workers and we are making tremendous capital for mm-hmm. people. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what you were saying the other day. And yeah. we deserve so, to be compensated mm-hmm. fairly. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just it. It's, I mean, what we do is no different than in terms of the, yes, we're not, you know, steel workers, but attorneys, stockbrokers, but these are people, but see, the biggest thing is, those are all people whose jobs are being could be potentially threatened by the AI too. I think that what we're doing is the first kind of like is the line of the sand of Silicon Valley. You need to like get this AI. It's got to be regulated everywhere, really everywhere, because it could be because it's like the internet all over again. It, well, like, it, but it, yeah, but it yeah. is. But it's like the this w- new thing is coming, and we don't know what it is. How do we regulate it? And it how do we? Yeah, and the one yeah. thing I was a friend of mine, well, not a friend of mine, but someone I've met a couple of times. She was wrote this article, this thing called Document. It's like technology has the ability to de-skill people. And then there's no sense of, like, what do you do next? Because yeah. here's the thing. Sure, fucking Elon Musk and everyone like that, you know what? You want your b- billions and billions of dollars. Then you better get on board with the UBI if you're going to de-skill, like, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who are not going to be able to do anything cause, you know, because there's no there's, there's no replacement. Like, the thing with the editors and the, and the voiceover and they do all the dubbing now to change the thing. That deep stuff, fakes. Deep fakes. That stuff's gone. What are these people going to do? You know, they're going to riot. Right. Eventually, there's no jobs and no food. And, I mean, look what's happening to visual artists, which is, there's nothing they can do. Their work is getting stolen. Mm-hmm. By Constantly. Constantly. All the time. I was looking on Twitter today, and it was like, I went on an Etsy site, and someone had clearly uploaded my art into, a, not my art, but oh. someone, you know, someone. Oh, somebody said it, yeah. Someone on Twitter said mm-hmm. this, you know, and it's basically, they're like, they are, they're, whatever AI program that they use, like, was definitely based on their art and there's nothing that we can do and we as writers because of this history of union action and because we have the wga we actually are in a position to to say wait a minute i don't know what we'll get i don't know how far we'll get but that's why we're on the line and that's why i think that that we should be bolstered in in the sort of righteousness of our position and Mm -hmm. and it's not just about money it's not just about it's not about the money. It's about the careers. It's about, it's about the careers. It's, it's, it's about, about what you can do. Stability. It's you know, about stability. It's about the value, value. of our it's work. It's about, you know, people can't afford to rent an apartment. Mm-hmm. Can't yeah. afford to, uh, certainly can't afford to buy a house, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I'm fortunate that I that wasn't my experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to be experience for people coming up behind me. Right. I don't want it to be, you know, you dabble in writing TV and then have, and then don't know where the rest of your you're going to push a lot of people out of the business the way oh, yeah. the model is right now because I was talking to a writer that was newer to our union and she was like I just moved out here like she was on one of the zoom rooms or whatever and she was in Chicago and she just came out here and now it's like now we're on strike and it's like I don't know if I can how much how long I can hang on before I leave yeah. this stuff behind and go do something regular go go sell insurance and that those are bad jobs but you we're going to lose a specific the brown and black levels, you know, we're going to lose a lot of that. First. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, I don't have a trust fund to fall back on. 
I don't yes. have a bunch of savings. I don't have rich parents to fall back on. So I got to leave. I got to go pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've already met quite a few people. We, when I, we were out there picking at Paramount the other day, we did the big black one. Yeah. And uh, I met like four people who came, who live two hours away, you know, because mm-hmm. they can't afford to leave here no more. Who are like, we just drove down, <laughs> you know what I mean, to, to come, you know, do this, this thing, but we can't afford to live here anymore, so... Wow, that's a long drive. So, you know, I think everyone, we just got to hang in there for now and just support each other and and take care of ourselves. And, you know, know, and and like you you were saying, also, you know, maybe write something for yourself for the first time in a long time. Or maybe sit down and write that weird thing that you never thought that you were going to have the time to write. And and you never know what that thing will yield or what that thing will lead to in the future. And I think that, that that's also sort of an exciting place to be to say, well... They've forced me to have this time to to either take a mental health break or to like write a passion thing that I never would have written right. or even to get to know other writers mm-hmm. and other people mm-hmm. on the line that I've mm-hmm. always wanted to talk to or people you know from Twitter or people that you know, those are the things I think that will bolster our spirits through right. through through the hopefully through the end of this. I mean, my hope as we let you go, my hope is that it'll do what it did during George Floyd and allow us. To kind of come back together like you said people can have meetings mm-hmm. people can talk to people they can meet those writers that they always wanted to meet because now people are available you know and i, I always think about um i was telling people the other day about the um twitter people were going on going hi i'm dan i write stories about blah 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 and people like you would go you know i'll read 10 pages yep. <laughs> you know what i mean and that's what was happening so i was like that might come back again where people have the time you know to do that again so yep. it's like lots of little there's sometimes positive things I think that bring us back together. So. There's always something positive that comes out of a calamity. Yeah. You just have to be uh, calm enough to to, sure. to find them. So, indeed, Dan. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you. This was awesome. I had a blast. I could talk to you all, all day. <laughs> really awesome, man. Thank you, man. Linnell White, where you at? Uh, Twitter at Linnell White, L Y N E L L E W H I T E. Instagram at Linnell one three five. Awesome. That's it. What about you, Dan? We know you're always on Twitter. Oh, uh, I'm up. Yapping. I'm up all hours of the night, so I have to keep myself entertained. I'm at Cuban Missile DH on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. Indeed, and Dan, you're so positive on there. That's something I love too. You're not always in there yeah, see, throwing I'm not some. Always positive on Twitter. I, I, I you know, I, tr- I try to be. I think there's a there's so much negativity, and I think that sometimes screenwriting Twitter in particular falls into a very negative yes. space. And I think it's important to try to like be a little bit optimistic and, yeah. and be real but also say hey you know what we can do this we definitely yeah. don't need to be mean to new members on Twitter um, no. I've seen some of that going on that's not, that's not okay yeah people yeah. are people are like people are being I heard people are being mean to like uh, the pre-WGA yeah. writers who are going mm-hmm. I'm like what the mm-hmm. fuck are you being mean mm-hmm. to them for mm-hmm. makes no sense anyway I got nothing to say about that yeah <laughs> you shouldn't do any of that just you know don't be mean crazy where you at Chris Derek I am on tw- uh, Instagram hmm. at the moment. At, oh, at right. I'm at unauthorized CBD on Instagram. I'll be back on Twitter in like two weeks. <laughs> okay. At the moment, I'm off. And I am your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool, Dan. Um, <laughs> at Hilliard Guest, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever. Same thing. Um, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Anchor, whatever you guys listen to. We're all over the world. What else we got, Chris? And you can support the show. Please support the show. You can go to our website at screenwritersrr.com and follow the link on the main page that will take you to our Patreon. And, the, and then you can decide how you want to support the show. $1, $2, $5, $25, $100. Yeah. What really feels appropriate to support the show. <laughs> we would appreciate it uh, kindly. Thank you. Yeah, Dan, no, Dan donated $300 million. I mean, you know what I mean? So, bam. Just bam. It was a I'll great investment. And I suggest <laughs> everyone do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, everybody join me. We appreciate you again. Thanks for coming all the way over here, Dan. We appreciate you. Uh, keep the good fight. I'm gonna come over and visit you over at CB. Are you over there? Like I'm days? there what's most the, most days. So. What's the vibe at Radford? I haven't been over there. It, it's it's like it's a smaller group. It's a smaller group, yeah. and then that might be the perfect and place it's, for me. It's, yeah. but it's pretty chill. Let I mean, me know when you'll go. Cause Miles, it's, it's, Miles, it's just a couple blocks Miles Warden is. A, I think Miles is great. Yeah, yeah, okay. he's, he's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty chill. So be, you you guys come yeah. and see me, and yeah. and we'll. We'll, we'll rock it out. All right, I'll text you and let you know. I only live a couple blocks from there, so there's no reason. I, I always go to Paramount and shit. So, yeah, I can go there. Um, anyway, everybody join me, 2023. You guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? 2023. Peace, y'all. Well, I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Rant Room. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the rent room